And now for something completely different. This is the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Let's do it. Welcome to the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. With it till 3 on this Thursday. With plenty to get to over the next few hours. Will the Warriors close out the NBA Finals tonight? We'll break it down. What would it mean for Steph Curry? What will it take tonight from both sides to try to get a win? Plus, speaking of winning, the Braves continue to win. We'll circle back to that conversation from yesterday. Can the Carolina Panthers turn around one of the bigger comebacks in the NFL this year? Who will be or could be the next Cincinnati Bengals? A surprise team that will reach the Super Bowl. Plus, who Vegas likes in some of the big college football games this year. College football teams that have had the best off-seasons so far. We'll catch up with a member of the Charleston Battery later on and a whole lot more throughout the afternoon. With it till 3, you can join the conversation throughout 843-721-9500 to give us a call. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734. Get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays, on Facebook at ESPN Charleston. Via email, studio at kirkmanbroadcasting.com or online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Head over there and click on our show page where you can leave a comment for the show. You can find the latest versions of the show podcasted right there, or you can even take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Just simply stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com. With you till 3, Trent's on the steel wheels. Trent, what's going on? How are you? Luke, I'm doing well. How are you, uh, sir? You know, I've just been here doing doing some work, ready to go, ready for the NBA Finals, Game 6, feeling good, ready to move. Got some picks for you a little later on. Looking and uh, Trent's takes, very pumped about my props. It's a beautiful Thursday here in the low country, and I'm feeling good. Game 6 tonight. Here we go, Luke. A hockey, nice. you know, didn't work out for me last night. Overtime, it was tough, but it was a great game. Yeah. I really hope this uh, series goes to 7, but I'm feeling good. Glad to be here, sir. Yeah, good. Good to hear. Well, a member of the battery joined us around 1.30, so we'll probably do Trent's takes around 2.30, and we'll end your day with hopefully some winning picks. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit on a heater horse right now. That's you right. Know, I miss a couple every so often, but this NBA Finals has treated me uh, quite well, Luke Morrow, quite yeah. well. You've gone 5-1, and one, I think it is, over the last two finals games. Yeah. And I'm 4-1 uh, and one against the spread this final, so let me tell you, <laughs> the Morrow Midday Show, we're buying you a new house these days. Get ready for football season, That's folks. Right. Here we come. Through the roof. All right, let me start with this, with the NBA Finals. Game six tonight, will the Warriors close it out? I think tonight's game, well, the rest of the series, whether it's game six or seven, if the Warriors close this out, it would be huge for Steph Curry and Golden State. This would be the most important 
NBA championship Golden State would have. Right, if you were to power rank NBA championships that Curry has won, this would be number one. Number two would be the first one when they won over 70 games and did not yet have Kevin Durant. And then after that, you could flip-flop whatever. The two Kevin Durant championships, one's three, one's four. I don't think they really stand out one over the other. They're pretty similar. But tonight would be the biggest one. This would be bigger than any of the other championships for Steph Curry. To do it on his own, in the sense of no Kevin Durant, a banged-up Clay Thompson, Steph Curry's averaging 31 points per game. To do it with a team that wasn't expected to be here, a 4C. In fact, I was looking back, John Hollinger, who does a great job covering the NBA. Look, I've gotten predictions wrong. But in his preview of the NBA season for the Athletic, he picked the Warriors to finish 11th in the West. He wasn't alone. A lot of people had the Warriors in the play-in round or missing the playoffs completely. Vegas did not have them anywhere close to one of their favorites. And here they are, one game away from winning the NBA Finals. The other years in which they won the championship, it was expected. It would have been a disappointment if they didn't. This year, it's quite the accomplishment. It's almost a surprise that here they are. And yet, right? it's funny how the narrative shifts that a couple days ago. It's, well, what do you expect? They pay more than everybody. Well, a lot of people didn't expect this at the start of the year. But I digress. Here we are in the NBA Finals. One win to go for Golden State to get their fourth championship. And if they do... Steph Curry will be the finals MVP. And that's the missing link on his resume. That's all that's left. I think he's already proven himself enough in this series, let alone his career, but some people feel he needs that finals MVP. He has a chance to get it with the win tonight, and they could do it in Boston against the Celtics, the best defense in the league. Here was Brian Windhorst this morning on ESPN's Get Up talking about how impactful and important it would be for the Warriors to finish this thing off tonight in Boston and get Curry Championship number four. Yeah, he's having just an absolutely masterful series. And if he has another great game, I don't. I would think he would never have to answer another question like this ever again. I already think he probably doesn't have to. But there's only been right. one team in the history of the NBA to, to close out a finals in Boston. 75 years. All the opportunities. That was 1985 when the Lakers did it, when Magic Johnson had a triple-double, and that was one of his iconic games. So for Steph Curry to be able to potentially do that tonight, to have the supreme moment of not only getting his fourth ring, but that Bill Russell trophy, holding the Bill Russell trophy up in Bill Russell's town, I mean, I think he's probably thinking what an amazing opportunity this deep into his career that he has. He's such a confident player. He's not going to worry about anything else. And so uh, this is maybe something he's been building to his entire career, and I expect him to play that way. Yeah, I think uh, the expectations for Curry will be a lot better than he was last game. Now, I don't think he has really anything left to answer to, as Windhorse was alluding to. I think he's already answered those questions. The only thing would be if they were to somehow lose this series. You lose tonight, you lose Game 7, and now for Curry on his resume, you have the 3-1 blown lead to the – uh, to LeBron and the Cavs, and then you have a 3-2 blown lead in this finals. At that point, then he'd be like, okay, hold on. Right? Once is uh, a, an outlier, twice is a coincidence, three becomes a pattern, as they say. Right? But if it happens twice, we haven't seen that in the NBA Finals from many guys. But assuming they win this series, there's no questions left whether he wins the MVP or not. He's been fantastic. Over his past two NBA Finals, without Kevin Durant, he's averaged over 30 points per game, and he's doing it this year against the number one defense in the league, something that hasn't been done in over 50 years. He didn't play great last game, but his impact goes beyond the points on the stat sheet. The Celtics, their defensive plan in Game 5 was to completely try to take away Steph Curry. 
probably not realizing that Andrew Wiggins would be the guy to beat him, that he would have such a big night. But for Steph Curry, he garnered all the attention. Right, They face-guarded Curry. They picked him up at midcourt. They were double-teaming him. They wanted anybody else to beat them, and Wiggins did. But when Steph Curry was on the floor, the Celtics were paying so much attention to him that, yeah, he didn't make a three. But his teammates shot 63% when Curry was on the floor. So while you took away Curry, it opened up opportunities for other guys. He still had an impact even in his worst game of the playoffs. Right, Because he has that gravitational pull that you pay so much attention to him, it opens the door for other guys. And when Curry was off the floor in Game 5, the rest of the team shot 22%. A huge difference, 63% to 22%. Even if Curry wasn't one, the one making the shots, even if he wasn't even the one passing the ball, he was still the one getting other guys open. That's how big of an impact he has. You know, when they were, were even winning championships with Kevin Durant, Curry saw about 10 times as many double teams as Kevin Durant. Even when he's not the highest scorer on the floor, he's still the most impactful. So while it did appear as if he struggled in Game 5, at the same time, he also opened the door, leading to that opportunity for an Andrew Wiggins to have a big game, Clay Thompson to knock down some threes, for other guys to do their part to get the Warriors to a victory. Now, can Golden State close it out tonight? What's interesting is that the Warriors this year, in the postseason, are 0-3 when they have a chance to win the series on the road. You heard from Brian Windhorst there that no team has won the finals like that in Boston since uh, uh, Magic in 85. The Celtics are 3-0 and this year when facing elimination. They've been tough to knock off. I thought the Bucs were going to do it. Milwaukee was up 3-2. to Giannis was playing well like a Steph Curry, and the Celtics were able to come back. Jason Tatum was huge in Game 6. They won Game 7, won the series, and advanced. The Celtics have been really good with their backs against the wall. And they can't be any further up against that wall than they are tonight at home against the best dynasty we've had in a while. Which takes me to tonight's Game 6 and the idea of pressure. You would assume there's more pressure on Boston than Golden State because, number one, Boston is trailing in the series. Number two, they're at home tonight. Number three, they haven't been here before. And number four, you can't take these opportunities for granted. I don't think the Warriors do either, but Golden State, I mean, this is their sixth NBA Finals. They've already won a bunch. For the Celtics, you have that feeling of, hey, we can't just feel like we're going to be back here every year. Don't let LeBron James sway you to think that that's the norm. We're just going to be in the NBA Finals every year. It's not the case. The Warriors have cashed in on their opportunities. The Celtics need to try to do so. Plus, they had the better seed. They have uh, uh, a better defense. But for the Celtics, they were uh, uh, favored earlier in the series. Got to try to get it done tonight. When we talk about pressure, Golden State has been here before. Boston has not. That could be all the difference in the world tonight in Game 6. Here was Draymond Green on his podcast following Game 5, already looking ahead to this one tonight, Game 6, talking talking about pressure and what it's like to play in one of these games because, of course, Golden State has done this plenty. Here was Draymond the other night. We're one game away, and it is going to be the absolute toughest game that you can imagine going into Boston number one that place is going to be absolutely insane but then you're trying to close a team out on the road closing a team out in general is tough extremely tough closing the team out on the road is is like a whole nother monster now in saying that there's no better feeling than closing a team out on the road but it is hard to do I think we're capable we've done it before I have no doubt in my mind that we can do it again. But 
we have to go in there with a, with an even better mentality than we did tonight if we're going to secure this win. It's a very exciting feeling knowing that you're one game away from the ultimate, uh, the Larry O'Brien trophy. It is the most nerve-wracking feeling knowing that you're one game away from the Larry O'Brien trophy. So for us, it's important that we show up to the plane tomorrow ready to go, not get the Boston chill out. You show up to that plane tomorrow ready to go because that's how hard it's going to be. And you're going to feel that energy immediately stepping into the city of Boston. It's not like you step into the arena and you feel that. You're going to feel that energy immediately stepping in. So I think it's important that we bring our hard hats to the plane, ready to go, because we're one game away. Draymond Green after game five. There's a difference when you've been through it before. That's what I always say. The, the first time you do something, it feels foreign. It's a little odd. You may not feel comfortable. You don't know if you're doing it right. By the time you even do it just a second time, it feels much more comfortable. Third time, right, even more comfortable. Eventually, it just becomes the norm. Like when you start a new job, your first week may seem a little awkward. By the second week, third week, you feel comfortable. You know where everything is. You know your coworkers. You may not even dress as nicely as you first did to make that first good first impression. You're a little more relaxed. You feel comfortable. You get in your routine. For the Celtics, they have avoided elimination in this postseason, but they've never had to do it in the NBA Finals. Game six, everybody watching. Biggest game of their careers at home tonight against the Warriors. Golden State has been here plenty playing in big games. The Celtics have not. It's a big difference. In fact, I was reading last night about this fugitive on the run from Austin, Texas. I don't know if you've been following this case. I'm always intrigued by stuff like this. And uh, one of the PIs that they interviewed for this story was saying that when you're on the run from the law, you always go back to a place you're most comfortable with because you feel like it's easier to hide out there. You know where everything is. You know what to streets to avoid. You know where you're going. You don't want to go to some random city for the first time and figure it out as you go. That's kind of like the Celtics today. They haven't been here before. They're going to have to figure it out as they go. Golden State, they can think back to the last times they've been in this situation. They know what it's like. It's a little bit different when you've gone through it before compared to when you're dealing with it for the first time. Speaking of the Celtics, here is Jalen Brown talking at the press conference yesterday about getting ready for this Game 6, what it's going to be like, and offering up some pretty good advice. Here is Brown. We're looking forward to each and every experience we haven't backed down from a challenge all season, so we look at it as no different now. Uh, it's unfortunate that sometimes those learning curves turn into to losses, um, but you know we wear every experience as a badge of honor. That was Jalen Brown. I like that line. Right, learning curves turning into losses. That has seemed to be what has happened in this series. The Celtics have been close so many times, and yet they can't stop turning it over, or they don't execute in the final seven minutes. They can't make their shots, and most importantly, they probably don't have a star. See, that's the biggest thing. The Celtics are Bonnie Tyler tonight. When her song, Holding Out for a Hero, from Footloose in the 80s, great 80s song. It's a classic. And she says, I need a hero. I'm holding out. For a hero till the end of the night, that's the Celtics tonight. They need somebody to step up. They need that hero. They haven't had that guy this series. It's been Steph Curry for the Warriors, and then when Curry was taken out of the game last time, it was Andrew Wiggins that was the hero that stepped up. For the Celtics in game one, you could say it was maybe like Al Horford when they played their best game of the series. But you can't rely on that night in and night out. They need that hero. They need somebody to step up. And it should be Jason Tatum. Now, I've been tough on Tatum throughout this series, but this is the opportunity for Tatum to try to prove me wrong or make up for the last few games, make up for really a poor postseason since the first round. The one game that stands out since that Brooklyn Nets series was when 
He went for 46 in Milwaukee. Game six, season on the line. He helped the Celtics avoid elimination. On that night, he was a hero. He's got to play like that again tonight. At home, crowd's going to be going crazy. Season on the line. You need a hero performance. Somebody to step up, and the most likely candidate needs to be Jason Tatum. I think back to Jordan in 1998, that final finals. And we all think of the winning shot against the Jazz, the final shot of his Bulls career to end the 98 finals. But in that game, he started 12 of 32 shooting the basketball, which is pretty bad. A lot of shots, not enough makes. Jordan was 12 for 32. That was coming off a game in which he shot only 34% in game five against the Jazz. He was 9 for 26 the game prior. So he goes 9 for 26 in game five, and the Bulls lose. They come out in game six trying to close out the series on the road. And Jordan's 12 for 32. But he turned it on in the biggest moment. He made his final three shots. He got the steal on the defensive end to set up that game-winning shot at the foul line over Byron Russell that we can all remember with him holding his arm in the air, final shot with the Bulls. He made his last three shots, got a steal on the defensive end, hit the game-winner, Bulls are NBA champions. And you forget that, wow, you know, for the last two games, Jordan really wasn't that great. He came up big in the big moment, which is the same idea for Jason Tatum. I'm not telling you he has to be Michael Jordan, the greatest player of all time. But the point being that you can make up for bad games prior if you're big in the biggest spots. Jason Tatum has not been great this NBA Finals or the last two rounds for the most part. He can make up for it if he comes up big tonight, leading to a Game 7, and if he's able to pull off a Game 7 win as well. There's still an opportunity for Tatum to prove himself to be the star the Celtics need him to be. Right? In the words of Bonnie Tyler, the Celtics are holding out for a hero, and it probably has to be Tatum tonight. By the way, I just learned today that Bonnie Tyler is uh, actually not American. I did not know that. She's Welsh. How about that? Here was uh, Steph Curry, who knows a thing or two about playing in these big games, winning these big games. This was uh, Steph Curry yesterday at his press conference talking about the magnitude of this one as the Warriors try to win another NBA Finals. The more you can kind of trick your mind into just being in the moment and staying there, that's the best advice I can give anybody in that situation. Um, Because it's going to be the hardest game you've probably ever played in your career. you got to be... You know, present as much as possible, not worry about the consequences of a win or a loss. Because all the only opportunity you have is, is, is that 48 minutes. The Celtics have been good with their backs against the wall. The Warriors have not been so good closing out series on the road. However, coming off of Game 5, don't you get the feeling that Steph Curry's going to have a huge night tonight after the way he played last time out? And the Warriors were still able to win without Steph Curry putting up a bunch of points? And on the flip side, how much do you trust the Celtic stars tonight with the season on the line? Do you trust a Jalen Brown, a Marcus Smart, Al Horford, Jason Tatum to go over their expectations, to overachieve tonight to be that star? That's the big concern for the Celtics, that going into this game tonight, not only do the Warriors have the lead, they have the experience, but they have the guy that you feel like you can count on tonight. You're not so sure about Boston. Do they have a guy who can play big in the biggest spot tonight? For Jason Tatum, it's a chance to still save himself after a bad series. He has not been good this NBA Finals. Not as good as they need him to. But if he plays big tonight, forces a Game 7, if he plays good in Game 7, you may forgive and forget some of those other performances. Somewhat similar to a Jordan in 98. When we come back, there was a, um, a big contract given out in the NFL yesterday. And I found it interesting. I think it speaks to uh, something going on in the NFL that um, is not great for some of these teams. And I'll explain what it is when we come back. It's more Midday Show.
right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Coming up, the Steelers handed out a big contract yesterday. I'll let you know my takeaway, what it means for the NFL. It's the More Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. I cannot hear this song and not think of The Wedding Singer. We were talking about Adam Sandler and his new basketball movie earlier this week. But I have always loved The Wedding Singer. And that's the song playing as we're doing the uh, cake testing. Trying out all the different wedding cakes for Drew Barrymore's upcoming wedding in that film. Great movie. Hey, the Atlanta Braves won again. They're never going to lose. Now, I told you yesterday not to be a wet blanket, but all their wins have come against teams under 500. The truer test will be next week when they take on the Giants, Dodgers, and Phillies consecutively. And this may not have gone over well with Braves fans. I know Bobby was very upset. He said he received messages. Bradley tweeted this morning asking if I was going to hate on the Braves some more today. As he said, if the Braves weren't beating these bad teams, you would be crushing them for not winning these games. That's a fair point. That's true. And I think I did acknowledge that yesterday, right? That you gotta be, you gotta take advantage, you gotta beat the bad teams. It's obviously worse than, than losing. And in baseball, it's hard to win either 14 straight in a row or just consistently throughout a baseball season, whether you're playing good teams or bad teams. So the Braves do deserve credit. My point wasn't to try to discredit. The idea was just to try to still keep perspective. That I don't know if we have a true answer on Atlanta just yet. They were under 500 for the first 50 games. And then, now they've won for two weeks straight, but beating up on a bunch of bad teams. So this uh, next week, following this weekend, that will be the real big test to see what we have in this Atlanta team. Are they playing as well as they did in October last year, or is it just a soft spot in the schedule? We'll know more next week. But they really dominated the Nationals. They're slugging home runs. They lead the league in home runs during this winning streak. Now they get the Cubs, and they should stack up more wins against the uh, Cubs this weekend. Which, by the way, in the Braves' defense, aren't they playing at like 220 today in Chicago? No, that's tomorrow. Okay, the Cubs are playing the Padres today. And that game's tomorrow at 220. All right, I saw the Braves were playing the Cubs at 220, and I thought that better not be today. They were on the road last night. Have to come in with a day game. So at least they get the day off. They play Chicago tomorrow afternoon. The Cubs finish with the Padres. All right, that's good news. Otherwise, they're going to say, that's ridiculous by the Cubs. The home teams are in charge of the uh, start times. That'd be uh, a bit of a sketchy thing to do against Atlanta, try to gain an advantage. So the Braves are cruising right now, but let's wait and see till they play some good teams next week. Because while they are closing the gap with the Mets, the Mets have the best record against teams over 500 in the league, and they've done it without their best two starting pitchers, two of the best pitchers in baseball that they hope to get back soon. So I'm curious to see how the Braves fare in those three series next week. And if they go something like 7-3, and three, then I'll give them all the flowers they deserve. They're playing really good baseball. I don't want to take it away from them. Point just being, they've beaten up 14 uh, bad teams in a row. The Mets are beating some good teams without their best pitchers. That was, that's been the big difference. 
But at the same time, I've been saying for the last couple weeks, I think the Braves are going to hang in there all summer. I think it's going to be a fun race in the NL East. It's hard to trust the Mets. They choke whenever they're doing well. So the Braves, uh, you, you probably feel better as a Braves fan right now in the way they're playing than a Mets fan. You're probably more concerned about the Mets. Like, oh, boy, the Braves are catching up. They're nipping at our heels. We'll see if the uh, Braves lose anytime soon. They're not going to lose again until after uh, July 4th of this race. We open the uh, afternoon talking about the NBA Finals. Somebody on the text line asked, uh, wasn't Jordan sick in that 1998 Finals I referenced? He was sick the year prior. That was the flu game in 97. Didn't matter because he was fantastic. But that was also against the Jazz. And then came back in 98 against the Jazz. Wasn't sick that series. Still had a good series. But wasn't great in Game 5. Started off slow in Game 6. But all you remember is that huge shot to win Game 6 and the NBA Finals over Byron Russell. The last shot he ever took with the Bulls. And then, so when you do something like that, you forget all the other struggles, which is the point with Jason Tatum. Like, you play big tonight, force a Game 7, you forget some of the other struggles before. The other big story going on was that Minka Fitzpatrick got a huge contract with the Steelers yesterday. Five-year deal becomes the highest-paid safety ever. And it's, this isn't necessarily about the Steelers, although they've done studies and they have found that there are more Steelers fans in South Carolina than other, any other team for whatever reason. So for Steelers fans, this goes out to you as well. But Pittsburgh now has the highest-paid defense in the league. They have the lowest-paid offense in the league, led by Mitch Trubisky or a rookie, Kenny Pickett. And they haven't done much to help those guys out. They've invested on defense, not offense. Think about the defensive coaches in the league. And for a period of time there, these last couple of years, we didn't have many. Now we have quite a few defensive coaches in the league still, despite how offensive the league has become. But defensive coaches in the NFL right now, Patriots, Steelers, Bears, Seahawks, Jets, Texans, Washington, the Saints. An exception or two would be the Buffalo Bills. Sean McDermott's a defensive coach, and the Bills uh, should be really good this year. They're Super Bowl favorites. And the Chargers are another one as well. Defensive coach Brandon Staley, but he did inherit. Justin Herbert was already there, and so were those offensive pieces. He's been there for 15 months. But those other teams, what are the expectations this year? For the Patriots, the Steelers, the Bears, the Seahawks, the Jets, the Texans, Washington Commanders, the Saints, how many of those teams will be in the playoffs? How many of those teams will realistically be competing for a Super Bowl this year? Look at the quarterbacks they have on those teams. Mac Jones, Mitch Trubisky, Justin Fields, Drew Locke, Zach Wilson, Davis Mills, Carson Wentz, Jameis Winston. How many of those quarterbacks are top 10? How many of them are even top half of the league? Right, top 15. Maybe Mac Jones is in the playoffs as a rookie. Jameis Winston, Carson Wentz, I don't know if they play well enough. Not a lot of franchise quarterbacks on that list. Not yet, at least. Justin Fields could turn into a superstar. Mac Jones could turn into a superstar. Maybe Zach Wilson. But as we sit here today, those are not some of the best quarterbacks in the league. Another potential exception may be the Titans, right? Mike Vrabel is a defensive guy. And the Titans should be good again. But who's their quarterback? Ryan Tannehill. And they just traded away A.J. Brown, their star on offense. So when you look at these teams being led by defensive coaches, a lot of them invest more in defense than offense. And I think it's no coincidence that, therefore, a lot of these teams don't really have the highest of expectations. The Bills are an outlier. Sean McDermott has gotten it right. 
and they drafted Josh Allen, and they nailed that pick, and they have a star quarterback, and they brought in Stephon Diggs. They were aggressive on offense, and they've devoted a lot of draft picks to the running back position. They have tried on the offensive side of the football. Most defensive coaches don't because they're defensive guys, and they want to just improve their defense. I'm a Vikings fan. I've gone through it the last couple of years. Now, sure, the Vikings did go spend money on Kirk Cousins, and they did draft Justin Jefferson and Dalvin Cook. They have plenty of offensive weapons. But Mike Zimmer was always pushing to draft cornerbacks instead, spend money in free agency on the defensive line. They never improved the offensive line. Right when Zimmer had money to spend, he wanted to invest on his defense. Of course, he's a defensive guy. That's what he knew. These coaches are the same way. The Steelers have the highest paid defense in the league, the lowest paid offense. Mike Tomlin's a defensive guy. He knows defense. And when you look at the open market and you see there's either like a good offensive lineman or a good defensive lineman, he's thinking, hey, I want, the de- I want to play with that toy. I want the defensive lineman. Let's go spend on him. And he's not alone. All these other teams, Patriots, Steelers, Bears, Seahawks, Jets, Texans, Washington football team, Saints, how many of those have prolific offenses going into this year? Tell me the star in the Patriots offense. Right? Or the Bears offense. The Seahawks have DK Metcalf. He wants out for a reason. Who's the star on the Jets offense or the Texans? Right, The Saints, yeah, you got Alvin Kamara. I mean, now granted, Dennis Allen's taken over for an offensive coach, Sean Payton. He brought in some offensive weapons. Dennis Allen just stepped in this offseason. But those are not some of the best offenses in the league. In fact, CBS Sports ranked each offense for the upcoming season, 1 through 32. The worst offense they have on their list, the Bears, defensive coach. Second worst offense, Texans, defensive coach. Then you have the Panthers. Sorry, Panthers fans. Then you get to the Seahawks, defensive coach. Three of the first, uh, three of the four worst offenses led by a defensive head coach. Seven of the ten bottom offenses on this list, defensive coaches. Meanwhile, the Athletic ranked the best offensive skill groups this morning. I was perusing this list, looking at the best combinations of tight ends, running backs, wide receivers. Who have the best set of weapons on offense, excluding quarterbacks? The Athletic put their list together this morning. Top seven offensive units, all seven offensive head coaches. And you probably figure, well, of course, that goes hand in hand. Maybe that's part of the reason why they are good offenses, because they have that good offensive coach leading the team. Problem is that, number one, the NFL is moving more towards offense than defense, so I think you need to invest more of your resources in offense than defense to keep up. A lot of these defensive coaches are stubborn, thinking, no, 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 our defense will slow down these offenses. It's a lot harder to do, to do that now than a few years ago. But number two, look at what history or the league is telling you. Seven of the last eight coaches to reach the Super Bowl have been offensive coaches. The one exception is, of course, the greatest coach of all time, Bill Belichick, who did it with, by the way, the greatest quarterback of all time in Tom Brady. That's the one exception. Seven other coaches, all offensive guys. Look at this past Super Bowl. Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor against Matt Stafford and Sean McVay. That's what's winning in the NFL now. Most of the coaches last year were offensive coaches. Most of the coaches that uh, most of the coaches in the playoffs, that is. Most of the coaches last year that won their divisions, offensive coaches. And I look at the defensive coaches in the league. Very few of them have good quarterbacks, good playmakers on offense, talented offenses, and therefore don't really have very good teams. How many of those teams are going to be in the playoffs? The Bills will. Right? Uh, the Chargers should be. We'll see. Titans very well could be. We'll see about the Patriots. The Steelers. The Bears won't. The Seahawks won't. The Jets won't. The Texans won't. We'll see about Washington, about the Saints. But even so, they'll be wild card teams. They won't be competing for Super Bowls. Won't have great offenses. 
That's what you need to win today. Defensive coaches, they don't have great quarterbacks, don't have exciting offenses, and probably won't have many playoff teams either. So I saw that contract yesterday, and look, it makes sense. Fitzpatrick deserves it. It's not an indictment on him. It's more about how the Steelers have gone about their business. Hung on to a washed-up Ben Roethlisberger too long. Now it's Mitch Trubisky and Kenny Pickett. They've invested the fewest resources in offense, most in the league on defense. Their defense should be good again. It's been good for years. And granted, Tomlin's never had a losing season, so maybe I should trust him. I think nowadays, you got to spend on the offensive side of the football. you got to have a good quarterback, playmakers on offense, a good offensive coach, a talented offense. That's how you win nowadays. Even Bill Belichick right, had to do it with Tom Brady, as good of a defensive coach as he is, the best we've seen. Still needed Brady to get it done. Right, the league has become offensive, and I think the coaches that are still reliant on boosting up the defense are the ones falling behind. When we come back, who could be the next Cincinnati Bengals this year? Plus, also we'll get to um, the Carolina Panthers, if they could be one of the teams to pull off uh, one of the bigger turnarounds this year. Because we always get these last-place teams that finish in first the next year. Who's it going to be this year? More Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Coming up, which team could go from worst to first in the NFL this year? Could it be the Carolina Panthers? It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. I've had a couple of uh, unpopular takes recently, I guess, whether it was the Atlanta Braves yesterday. Mm. Some people weren't happy about that. Braves can prove me wrong next week. Or, of course, a few weeks ago about the whole tipping thing, which I still think was misconstrued. <laughs> Taken out of context. Yes, it was. <laughs> People misunderstood. They only heard what they wanted to hear about tipping. <laughs> once they heard you, once they heard tipping, yeah, it's an true. immediate negative. If you're, you know, contemplating tipping somebody, that's when you that's know true. the service industry folks, you know, get their ears get heightened a little bit. Absolutely, which I understand, but uh, they didn't listen to the context, the important context <laughs> of the conversation. So, anyways, Major League Baseball, by the way, comes up with the worst ideas. Them and New Era. I don't know who. I've, it's probably more on the uh, it falls at the hands of New Era. My goodness, I just saw this tweeted out by a, a baseball reporter. It's legit. It's not some parody account. But they came out with a bunch of gear that has holes in it for meteors. And the problem is, like, okay, I guess that's an okay idea. I think it's pretty dumb. I'd never wear it. A hat with a hole in it for a quote-unquote because I got hit by a meteor. Well, I mean, I think it's a pretty dumb idea, actually, if I'm being honest. But, you know, kids may like it. Problem is, a jersey with holes in the jersey costs $1,000 and 30 bucks. $1,030. Well, who is spending that much on a jersey that has holes in it? Who's spending that much on any type of jersey? Regular jerseys are expensive enough. They're like 150 bucks to get like an authentic jersey nowadays. You want to get uh, you know an Acuna jersey stitched on? It's like you're pushing like 200 bucks, and they're going to up the price to over a thousand dollars with holes in the jersey. Makes no sense. One of these hats with holes in it costs 260 bucks. T-shirt is 350 hoodies are 630 They all have holes in them. 
Major League Baseball, every year they come up with the dumbest ideas for their apparel. I don't get it. Who thought this was a good idea? Every year. They get mocked in the new era quickly. I don't know if they just do it for the attention. Happens every year. New era, remember they put out those hats that had all random signs on the hats to represent the, the cities? For the Atlanta Braves, they had like a spaceship on there because of Outcast. It was a terrible-looking hat. And everybody mocked the hats, and New Era took them away after like two weeks. Same idea with these jerseys. People over at New Era, they need some new ideas. These ideas are terrible. Hey, who in the NFL could go from worst to first? It happens every year. You look at the teams, it's intriguing because you look at the teams from last year. There's some good options. Right, last year was a bit of a funky season or even the off season. For example, the Broncos finished in last place. Then they had Russell Wilson. The Ravens finished in last place last year. Well, they were really beat up, had a lot of injuries. The other last place teams were the Jets, had a good off season. The Jaguars, I thought had a good off season, good enough, we'll see. But they added uh, some players on offense and most importantly, a better coach. The Giants finished in last, brought in Brian Dable, could be intriguing. The Seahawks finished in last, they actually got worse this off season. The Lions finished in last, and the Panthers, unfortunately, finished in last place. Of those two, uh, of those eight teams, who will be the most improved? Obviously, you would say the Broncos or the Ravens. Right? If we were to like, power rank these teams, I think the Seahawks, as I said, have gotten the worst. Uh, they'll be in last place again. The Lions, I think, will be better than the Bears this year. I think the, the Lions will not finish in last. I'll put them in third place. Uh, the Jets will still be in last place, I would guess. The Giants, that's a tough one. NFC East is difficult. The Eagles and the Cowboys are the two favorites. We'll see if the Washington football team and the Giants did enough this offseason to get better. The two clear candidates, though, of course, the Broncos, you had Russell Wilson. And the Ravens, they just got healthier this offseason. Plus, Ben Roethlisberger retired. People expect the Bengals to regress a little bit. And we may or may not see Deshaun Watson on the field for the Browns. So the Broncos and the Ravens are the two. The Ravens are probably the safer pick because the Broncos are in such a tough division. When it comes to the Panthers, I don't think Carolina has done enough this offseason to suddenly become better than Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. So I would give the Ravens the best chance to go from worst to first. Then second, I would say probably the Broncos, even in that tough division. Third, I would go Jacksonville. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. But I do think Doug Peterson coming in is a big improvement for Trevor Lawrence and that Jaguars team. You now have a Super Bowl-winning head coach, what we believe to be a generational talent at quarterback, and not the toughest division in football. So the Jaguars have a few things going their way. I would slot them third on this list. Fourth, I'd probably say the Giants. The NFC East has not had a repeat champion in 20 years. The Eagles finished in second place last year. They weren't all that great, even though they made the playoffs. We'll see about Carson, uh, Carson Wentz in Washington. And for the Giants, you brought in Brian Dable, who I like a lot. I don't know how he will be as a head coach. We haven't seen him before as a head coach. But maybe he could be the guy that could save Daniel Jones. And if you get good enough quarterback play in that division, maybe the Giants could do enough to try to win the division. And then fifth on the list, that's where I'd probably put Carolina. If somehow Tampa Bay, without Bruce Arians this year, Brady a little bit older, maybe he suddenly falls off the cliff like a Peyton Manning, a Brett Favre, a Dan Marino. I wouldn't expect it, but maybe. Maybe Carolina makes a move for Baker Mayfield, and somehow that's the missing piece. I'm putting them fifth for a reason. I wouldn't expect it, but I give them a better opportunity than the other teams left on the list. Where six on the list, I would um, 
probably say, uh, I guess I'll put the Jets at that point, number six. But I don't think the Jets are going to catch up to Josh Allen and the Bills anytime soon. The one concern for Buffalo would be that they lost Brian Dable, their offensive coordinator. And I just spent last segment telling you about the defensive coaches who are kind of falling behind in the league. Sean McDermott's been the one exception, but maybe it's like Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn is the last defensive coach to reach a Super Bowl not named Bill Belichick, but it was really because of his offensive coordinator, Kyle Shanahan, and the job he did with Matt Ryan. And once he removed Kyle Shanahan, the Falcons fell apart. I don't think the Bills will fall apart because they still have the quarterback, Josh Allen, who I think is good enough. But I do think Brian Dable was a very important part of that team, and I am curious to see how they do this year without him running the show. I think they'll be fine. I don't know if they'll go win a Super Bowl this year as expected. But I'm also not telling you they're going to suddenly be under 500 and miss the playoffs. And then the two worst teams on my list of teams that finished in last place last year, trying to improve this year, I'll put the Lions at number seven. I do think the Lions are going to be better than people anticipate. I think they'll be better than the Chicago Bears in their own division, but I don't think the Lions are going to go win the division this year and best Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay. You usually need to have the best quarterback or top two quarterback in the division. I think Rodgers is the best quarterback, and the Packers will finish in first. I think Kirk Cousins is the second-best quarterback. Vikings will finish in second. I think Jared Goff is probably the third-best quarterback. Lions will finish in third. And then lastly, the Seahawks will be one of the worst teams in the league, I would imagine. So I rank them last amongst last year's last-place teams. And don't forget, the two best teams in the NFC last year, based off of the title game, are in the Seahawks division. And the other team, the Cardinals, were also a playoff team last year. Seattle was the one team that did not make the playoffs, and they got worse this offseason. So in terms of which teams could go worst to first this year, the safest bet would be the Ravens, and then I would say the Broncos second. But that's how I would power rank them in terms of best opportunities or best seasons they'll have this year. Panthers will be fifth on that list. Seahawks are last. But someone's going to surprise you. In fact, coming up a little bit later on, we'll talk about who could potentially be this year's Cincinnati Bengals. Surprise you last year, came out of nowhere, reached the Super Bowl. Who could potentially do that this year? We'll get to that later on. In the meantime, we'll wrap up Hour 1 when we come back. More Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. It's Throwback Thursday. What's today? It's Thursday. Really? Feels like Tuesday. (laughs) Tuesday has no feel. Monday has a feel. Friday has a feel. Sunday has a feel. I feel Tuesday and Wednesday. All right, shut up to both of you. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. U.S. Open off and rolling. Trent, have you been paying attention at all to the U.S. Open today? I have to tell you what, Rory's looking pretty good. The guy's on a heater horse, there's no doubt about it, with the last couple tournaments he's been playing. Finishing top 10, won the RBC uh, Canadian Open, mm-hmm. I believe, uh, last week. So, yeah, he's looking good. I've been following the leaderboard a little bit. A couple, uh, couple no-names up there, but that's usually how it goes, The uh, you know, the first round of the U.S. Open. Somebody's going to go out to an early lead, and then boom. But apparently, Luke, the course is playing 
Very tough. Very tough. You got to hit the fairways. You got to hit the fairways. Obviously, you want to hit the fairways, but apparently our friend Jeremy Schilling tweeted out that the fairways are the most important thing in this U.S. Open right now. Okay. Any sort of uh, fireworks yet? Anything newsworthy or just been pretty status quo? Yeah, it's been status quo. I think a lot of people were expecting, you know, booze, maybe, yeah. you know, other PGA Tour players scolding the others that have gone to the uh, Live Golf Tournament. But as right now, I haven't seen anything. Now, Phil Mickelson and Dustin Johnson, I don't believe, have teed off ah, yet. So okay. uh, we can't wait a little bit. But a couple other guys, I believe Phil and uh, Louis Oosthuizen uh, are paired together. Fun fact. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I just looked it up here. Phil's teeing off or both those guys, I guess, at 147. So we'll see how they uh, treat Mickelson. I imagine it'll be fine. I heard Bobby say, I think it was last week, that the Scott Hamilton show is the live golf tour of ESPN Radio, Charles. Uh, yeah, I think that's I think that's how it is. Because he said there he's the newcomer. You know, he's mm-hmm. the newcomer around here. So, yeah, he said Scott Hamilton, uh, the Scott Hamilton show is the live golf tour, and uh, you and him are the uh, PGA tour. All right. No interaction. No. Can't go over to that side. <laughs> oh, wow. He was go- By the way, people around here, you can tell how old school we are around here. People love printing out pictures and taping them places. Yeah, taping them to, the, to our walls. Yeah. Yep. Scott, I think it was last week, uh, put like a Mickelson after the news broke. Mickelson saw, and I guess it's fair, it's fitting to lean into the live tour because he was posting a photo about Mickelson making all his money going to the live tour. And there's a photo on the office back there. You and I now share an office. That's right. And uh, they figure, like, oh, those two guys are look alike. We'll just put them together <laughs> in the same office. There's a Draymond Green. There's been a Draymond Green photo pasted to the door there. Yeah, Bobby put that up uh, because apparently there's no crying in basketball, and Draymond Green's crying a little bit. All right. So that's our office. People love to tape up photos around here. Hour two next. WTMZ, 98.9 FM, WTMZ, 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Second hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up, which college football teams have improved the most this offseason? We'll catch up with a member of the Charleston Battery. Also, a little bit later on, which team could be like this year's... Which team this year could be like last year's Cincinnati Bengals, I guess is the best way to put it. Who could be the next version of the Bengals after they surprised many to reach the Super Bowl? A year ago. If you ever miss anything from the show, you can always catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. And the podcasts are back up on charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page, the Morrow Midday Show page, and you can find the show podcasted there. We had some issues behind the scenes with the website, but everything is now caught up over the past about week or two. So the podcasts are back up on the website if that's how you used to listen. CharlestonSportsRadio.com. Click on our show page there. You can 
Always leave a comment for the show. Find the latest versions of the show podcasted, or you can even take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. You just stream us online right there at charlestonsportsradio.com. On a throwback Thursday, Father's Day coming up this weekend. Touch uh, touch on that in just a moment. Went out, played some basketball tonight. I'm gonna try. Listen, I tell you what, they can't play back to backs in the NBA anymore. These guys are complaining they don't like to play games back to back days. I played pickup hoops last night. I'm supposed to get back out there tonight, play again tonight. How did we do? How did we do last night? So it was so hot yesterday. Yeah, I heard Bobby talking on Fan Talk after uh, I got off the air about the heat advisory. You don't need, right? What's the point of heat? You should know how hot it is. And then I know you guys are talking about tip, tipping your caps to people who work outside. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, I wasn't working outside, but we played outdoors last night. So when we first started at about 5 o'clock, it was br- I thought I was going to pass out. <laughs> I had no energy. I was terrible the first couple of games. I, w- I wasn't feeling great. And then by the time the sun went down at about, I don't know, 6, 6.30, it actually got pretty comfortable. And at that point, I started to play a lot better. But Turned those, it on. Yeah. Those first couple of games, though, I had nothing <laughs> in the tank. I legit, at one point, I thought I was going to pass out. Like, we need to take a break. It is, it feel, the feel like temperature is like 100 degrees. We're playing. There's no shade. We're in the sun. It was brutal. But we made it through last night. It was fun. And now tonight, I'm supposed to get back out there. Except uh, tonight's actually supposed to be in a gym. So we'll see. That'll be nice. That'll be welcome. And tonight's game, supposedly, is being organized by one of our bosses here. That's right. Yeah, the boss man himself. So, uh, I'll believe it when I see it because we've been uh, we've heard some promises for a long time. Right, and I'm not sure the kickoff time. I don't know if I can be, you know, the facilitator out there because I will be uh, out at the uh, the Gamecock Club with uh, with Bobby oh, later. Yeah, I'm really? Go out do the remote with him. So uh, potentially, you know, uh. might make an appearance. Might have to go ball in some khakis. Luke, <laughs> you know, you know, just gotta gotta do what you gotta do. When I was living in uh, upstate New York, it was a great deal. You could go to the local college and pay. It was like five bucks, if that to go play uh, pick up hoops in their college gym for as long as you want for the day. And uh, there's always, obviously, college kids playing there. And I was not far removed from college at the time, so I'd go there and I'd play. There was always this one guy who would always play in jeans. Oh, yeah. Every time. Oh, yeah. I thought, what are you doing? How is that comfortable? Who's Look out for basketball him. basketball in jeans? Look out for him, though. The guy playing jeans at the pickup court, you make sure you don't give him a couple hard fouls, you know, because he might give it to you back <laughs> pre- uh, a lot harder. Yeah. A lot he, harder. He had, like, his work boots on and his uh, <laughs> carpenter pants over here. Got to get it. Got to get the shots up, yeah. Luke. <laughs> I, that always uh, that blew my mind, playing in jeans. I couldn't play pants. Like, I watch guys now who wear those, like, the compression. Yeah. But they're, like, the long pants underneath. Or even guys that will wear full sleeves. I can't. I got to be more comfortable than that. I can't play sports, at least not basketball. I mean, baseball, you're wearing pants, so I guess it's just basketball. I can't play basketball in like pants or even a long sleeve shirt. Yeah, football is a little different. Having the uh, you always want to make sure every part right. of your leg is covered. Uh, normally, that's that's what I did at least. Maybe you can call me soft, but I wanted all my all my legs covered. No, I don't blame you. So we did okay. Got the shot going last night. I'll be plenty warm for tonight. We'll see. Yeah, exactly. We will see if it actually happens. <laughs> we'll see if I have any. Yeah, we'll see if we actually play, <laughs> and we'll see if I have any energy left in store tonight. I'm feeling better than I thought I would today uh, after playing last night. So, anyways, you know, Father's Day is coming up. It is a throwback Thursday, so let me spend a moment here today talking about Father's Day this weekend. Because what I appreciated was last night, while I was there at the court playing some pickup basketball, as we're sitting around in between the games, and we needed extended breaks last night because of how hot it was. We we're all dying out there. 
the guys, the other guys, most of them are fathers. Most of them are talking about their stories were all about playing sports with their kids. And I love to hear these stories because it takes me back to when I was growing up. But the other fathers there, or the fathers, I'm not a father, the fathers that I was playing pickup basketball with last night were sitting around and talking about one of them, you know, injured his foot playing soccer with his kid because his kid's practicing to be a, a goalie. Another one was talking about removing the hot tub in the backyard to put in a basketball hoop for his uh, young daughter who's getting into the sport. Right? Another one was talking about playing horse in the driveway with his son all the time. Now, I don't have kids, right? but of course I was a kid once, as we all were. And uh, when you think back with Father's Day coming up, like those are some of the fonder memories. Now, some of it, my father, as I always uh, share the stories, we're a basketball family. He played professionally. He would coach us growing up. We would spend a lot of time in that driveway working on our uh, footwork. Just doing rant, just doing drills. Well, anytime we wanted to go shoot, he was always there to rebound. And when I got into baseball, I fell in love with baseball a little bit later. I was about 10 years old. My brothers were never into it. I'm the youngest of three. Older brothers were never really into baseball. We were a basketball family. I, when I fell in love with it, right all the time, we'd be at the beach. We'd go out into the front yard. I was always willing to have a catch. In fact, it was usually my father that was the one coming up with the idea. He was the one getting me out there. If it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't practice these sports as often as I did. I'd rather just sit inside in the air conditioner and watch. But when you have somebody that's willing to rebound or go through drills with you or just baseball, obviously you need somebody else to throw the baseball around. Right? He was always there. And uh, we would even go. He would even take me to the local baseball field and have me pitch. I was a pitcher back in the day, and he'd, he'd catch. And he played baseball as a kid, right? But, again, let me reiterate, we're a basketball family. We like baseball. I certainly love baseball. I worked in baseball for a number of years. But he was willing to go out there and, you know, catch whatever I needed to. And I certainly wouldn't be here today in the sports industry uh, without my father. Because as big into sports as I am, uh, that's just the norm in my family. I watch a lot of sports. I think my dad watches even more. He's watching everything on TV. DVRs it all, watches it uh, You know, after work when he gets home all night, catches up on the games, whatever he misses. And the way that we were raised, it was always about sports, which I love. But I was thinking about that yesterday and leading up to Father's Day this weekend, right? that he was always there to go out in the driveway and shoot hoops, to throw a baseball around, have catch with, play catch with a football, whatever, whatever it was, whatever we needed, whatever we wanted to do. And uh, that's great. I have friends that have become fathers in recent years. And I am not a father, but it's always my advice, right? Just, just give love. That's all you have to do. People don't know, like, I don't know if I'm prepared to be a, a parent. Just be there for your kid. Just do things. Uh, give them love. Whatever they need. Go rebound for them when they want to shoot hoops outside. Uh, build that, uh, that passion or love for sports or whatever it is that they want to do. Be there for them to help them continue to get better at that, that sport or whatever. Maybe it's music. Or maybe they want to play an instrument, whatever it may be. And all you have to do is be there. Now, that's the sign of a great parent. Unfortunately, not everybody grows up with uh, parents that are there for them. I have plenty of people in my life that grew up in single households or their parents were busy working or just weren't around. Or they had whatever else going on in their lives. And, you know, I was blessed that uh, both my parents growing up uh, were always there for us whenever we needed something and were involved. And uh, with Father's Day coming up this weekend, obviously happy Father's Day to all those that will be celebrating. Maybe we'll even get a Game 7 in the NBA Finals come Sunday on Father's Day, which would seem fitting. And for those basketball fans who are also fathers, right, also may be fitting. You wrap up Father's Day with a little Game 7 NBA Finals Sunday night. That would be nice. That would be good. Do whatever you do during the day, and then you relax at night, watch a little NBA Finals. But I always think back to uh, some of the fondest memories were just going to games with my dad and shooting hoops and playing catch at the beach with baseball 
And I was sitting there last night hearing all of the other fathers telling their stories about, you know, how much of a thrill they get from just being out there and shooting around with their kid or, you know, kicking a soccer ball around with their daughter. And I always think that's great. We're all sports fans. That's why you're here. That's why you're listening. If you have kids, I'm sure you raise them to be sports fans as well. And when you were a kid growing up with your father, hopefully you had similar experiences that those are some of the best times just being outside and, uh, you know, practicing sports with your father, watching the games uh, with your father, going to a game, going to a Braves game, whatever it may have been, going to the Gamecocks, Clemson, your father taking you. It was always a thrill. And that was the other thing. As I grew up and I would talk to my uh, buddies, I would realize that we were the lucky ones because we went to so many games growing up. And my father would, uh, would, would, I don't know, work, for lack of a better term, like work, so it would be a work night. We'd go out to New Jersey to go watch the Nets. We grew up in Connecticut. Like, we'd go travel two and a half hours to go watch those old Nets teams with Vince Carter and Jason Kidd and Richard Jefferson. And we went to Fenway all the time. And, and right, and then he'd come back home. We'd get home at like 1 or 2 a.m. You have to get up for work the next day. Always appreciated that. And I grew up, and I talked to my buddies. Like, wow, I've never been to a Yankee. Like, really? We're not even Yankee fans. We go to Yankee Stadium every year. And it wasn't because we were you know, more well-off than others. Just uh, my father was able to get us to the games. We you know some people, and plus willing to weeknight, Tuesday night, get some cheap tickets, go to a game, go travel, get home late, get up for work the next day. So those are always the fondest memories. Growing up, right, the bond uh, between sports with uh, you and your kids or you and your parents, whatever it may be. And by the way, it is Father's Day, so I'm focusing on the fathers. But of course... The mothers are all very crucial to the operation as well. I wouldn't be here without my father or my mother in this position, talking sports for a living every day. So happy Father's Day to uh, all the fathers out there coming up this weekend as I reminisce on a throwback Thursday. But as a non-father, it was cool last night, sitting there, and that's th- those were all the stories. They weren't talking about work. They weren't talking about uh, the TV shows. Their pers- all the stories, as I'm sure if you're a father, uh, same idea. When you get around with your other buddies that are all, all have kids, you talk about you know spending the weekends in the basketball gym or the soccer field, the baseball stadium, watching your kid play. That's the that's the real thrill of it all. And these fathers last night were all excited about uh, talking about their kids getting into sports and them being able to practice with them. And uh, I always think I have so many memories of that as a kid. Those are the good times. So happy Father's Day to those that will be celebrating this weekend. Anyways. Reminiscing on a throwback Thursday. You can always join the conversation, 843-721-9500 to give us a call. Let's go to the phones. Ricardo is with us. Ricardo, what's going on? How are you? Good, good, Luke. Uh, happy Father's Day because I'm headed down to Florida for a couple of days. But uh, real quick, my, we grew up across the street in New England, a small town, Springfield. Yeah. Across the Basketball Hall of Fame. And my father wasn't there. My older brother, his dream was to play pro ball. He played with Duquesne, with Norm Nixon. And I was, that was my dream to play pro ball. I played college ball, but unfortunately our nephew was able to, to fulfill the dream. And my brother's meeting with Doc Rivers as we speak. He just called me from L.A. So hopefully that meeting goes well. But, yeah, I concur that. I'm, I come from a basketball family. We ate, drank, and slept basketball. You know? Yeah. So that Absolutely. was great. And uh, real quick, uh, big game tonight. Big game tonight. I think the Celtics are going to take it, you know? Mm-hmm. And then uh, what happens in Game 7? Uh, that's that's a Vegas call. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, it's going to go 7, but I, I really can't call that one. Uh-huh. But uh, one, one thing I want to ask, this lady, Dana, the owner of uh, – Dana Haslam, she owns the Browns. And I was reading a Times article about Deshaun, 66 women, most of them are – Hispanic or black, 
And he, he's got 26 depositions. I've been to a deposition. The lawyers are going to rip him apart um, in March when he's got depositions all in a row. I saw the schedule. And he's really just a scumbag. I agree with Trent. They need to just put, sit him down. He needs counseling. He's a predator from what I read. And I don't understand how he has a girlfriend. I mean, any woman would cheat on her like that. She would just, it must be money. But that's that's a sad situation. Yeah, it uh, it really is. It's a tough situation. In regards to the girlfriend, she has hung by him through all this. I don't want to make assumptions about anybody. But her recent post on social media was her driving a Rolls Royce and then her with some sort of bag that uh, I'm, I'm not into fashion. I don't know, but I read up about it. Some of those bags are worth like $2 million, and the majority of them go for something like, I don't know what it was, 200000 or 400000 something like that. It's an Hermes bag, I believe. Was what that what it called, was? If, if I'm not mistaken. It was some ridiculous, expensive purse. So, look, I don't know. Who knows her intention? Maybe she's forgiving. That's You can move on from something like that. Although, in this case, this is more than just like one situation. Deshaun has admitted to at least three different women through this but we know about him meeting with 66 different that's a little bit different than hey he he screwed up i can move past this one bad situation we could get past this i can forgive this is a little bit more than that this is a serial offender and for deshaun again we you know innocent until proven guilty so i don't know if i can sit here and call him a predator though these accusations would paint him as such But as I said before, when that story first came out from the New York Times, best case scenario for Deshaun, he's just like a, he's a creep. To meet up with 66 different women over 17 months hoping that you're going to get something from it sexually uh, with a girlfriend at home. It's just, uh, if my buddy was doing that, if I sat down at the bar with one of my friends and he told me that he was DMing girls on Instagram to meet up with a different woman a week for 17 months for massages from women that are not necessarily licensed massage therapist, and then hoping that there's like a happy ending to it. Or he tells me we had consensual sex a few times. I was like, what are you doing? Especially if you have a girlfriend. Either end the relationship or, like, what are you, 66 different women over 17 months in private hotel rooms, right, uh, getting massages and hoping something comes from it? Like, that's that's a red flag. If your buddy told you that, you tell him, like, knock it off. What are you, that's a weird behavior. So that's best-case scenario for Deshaun. If he's innocent of doing any, any wrongdoing, anything illegal, best-case scenario is yeah, he's just kind of kind of a creep. I don't know. He's got this real fetish and probably a problem as well. That seems to be some sort of problem that maybe he doesn't have control over. Worst-case scenario, yeah, he's a, a predator to the 10th degree, worse than uh, some of the others over the years. If it's 66 women that he's seeking out online that are not massage therapists to get them in a position like this, if the accusations are true, right? That's worst-case scenario. These 26 women are telling the truth. Yeah, that's a serious issue. He should never play in the NFL again. Best-case scenario for Deshaun is that he didn't do anything illegal, but we still know they have the paper trail. He met with 66 different women. They believe he contacted over 100 over a 17-month period, met with 66 different. Uh, most of them weren't actual massage therapists. Uh, you know, sexual things happen in a lot of those incidents. Right, that's the best-case scenario. It's just like, eh, you know, a little bit of a creep. Going around uh, meeting with all these women every week. Especially with, I know he's not married, and every relationship's different, right? But you got a girlfriend uh, at home as well. And you're a, a star quarterback. I referenced it before, but it was what Jordan said to Tiger. 
I don't know if it's even a true story or if it's just like uh, one of those jokes. But Tiger saying to Michael Jordan, like, I don't know how to talk. To, what am I supposed to say to them? I don't know how to talk to women. And Jordan said, just tell them you're Tiger Woods. Similar to Sean. Like, you don't need to go through all this trouble. It's obviously some sort of, uh, I would assume, some sort of like fetish with a massage thing. Or there is that uh, predatory nature to it all, which is also very troubling. Uh, coming up. Teams that have improved the most in college football this offseason. We'll get to that. It's the more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. We'll catch up with a member of the Charleston Battery in about 10 minutes, coming off their best performance of the year. While I was over there doing PA, I don't know. Maybe it's a coincidence. All I'm saying, I'm just giving you the facts. Hey, uh, we'll talk about uh, talk about that win with a member of the Battery coming up. You can always join the conversation, 843-721-9500, to give us a call. Let's go back to the phones. Robert is with us. Robert, Robert uh, what's going on? How are you? Never mind. Robert's not doing well. What is that? Robert, you can give us a call back uh, if you wish. 843-721-9500 to always join the conversation. There's not a lot of worse sounds that you can have, at least on a phone, than that noise right there. The other one, of course, is back in the day on a throwback Thursday, you would call somebody, and uh, either you call the wrong number and it's a fax machine. That could still happen today. That's the worst. I don't know how many people are still using fax. Every, every once in a while, I have to fax something. And then the other one, of course, was when you call somebody and they were using the Internet instead way back when. And you get that annoying sound, that screeching sound of uh, them using the Internet, with the, using the phone line for the Internet. What a time to be alive. You had to pick one or the other. Either you have a working phone or you have Internet. All right, imagine that. And you used to really have to try to be, it was like a strategy to it. And then you have to do homework on the Okay, you can use the Internet for an hour, but I'm expecting a call, so you got to get off the Internet in about 30 minutes. Oh, man. Now you got it all on your phone. You can do everything from this thing in your hand. You don't have to worry about, well, do I need to make a call, or can I go on the Internet? What a time to be alive back then on a throwback Thursday. Hey, which college football uh, programs have improved the most from the end of last season to where we currently are? College football, as we say, is always becoming more and more like the NFL. And in the NFL, you could have an offseason. You could have free agency. You can make moves. You could get better. Earlier, we talked about teams that go from worst to first. It happens every year. College football, we're getting towards that point where same idea. Michigan State, Mel Tucker, you turn around your team in one offseason. So the teams that have done the most this offseason to better their position this year will actually see how much better they truly are when they lace them up. But I think, of course, USC would be a clear number one. Because not only the talent you brought in, but the coaching change. And USC went from winning four games a year ago to being the favorites now in their conference. Their win total is uh, around nine, so Vegas thinks they're going to be more than twice as good as they were a year ago. You won't see that jump from somebody else, at least not on paper right now, for this college football season. In fact, you don't see that jump very often. You have to go back to the 90s. Hawaii was the last team to have as big of a turnaround as we may expect from USC this year. 
So you get Lincoln Riley. That's a big upgrade over Clay Helton. You get Caleb Williams, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. That's a good upgrade. You get the number one wide receiver. You get a good running back from a conference rival. So they get worse. You get better. A lot of moves this offseason for me. Of course, USC, suddenly they become uh, one of the better teams on paper in the country. Last year, they couldn't even have a winning season. I think they've improved more than anybody. Number two, I'd probably say, I think I'd go Texas at number two. I'm debating between Texas and Miami. But I think Texas is number two. I'd probably put Miami three. Texas two because you bring in Quinn Ewers. Now, we don't know truly how good this kid will be. But the hype is real, so much so that, at least in the eyes of Vegas, right, they believe Texas could win their conference. They're a very slight underdog to Oklahoma. They have the second-best odds right behind Oklahoma. And Texas was another team, much like USC, that last year they won only five games, had a losing record, didn't go to a bowl. It was their worst season in decades. And now we're talking about Texas. Their win total is up around eight and a half. We believe they'll be much improved. And it mostly comes down to yours. You have the best running back in the country coming back. Year two of the head coach at Sarkeesian, that should help. And then you bring in Quinn Ewers, who everybody is very excited about. We'll see how big of an impact he has. Miami, I'd probably put number three because of Mario Cristobal. They also did a good job in recruiting this past offseason because of Mario Cristobal. Now, sure, there is some sort of investigation about name, image, and likeness. Sounds like uh, Miami from 20 years ago. Uh, But just simply by bringing in Cristobal, we may not see the full impact this year, but you will see it over time. Number four, I would say Texas A&M. I put them at number four because they had the best recruiting class we've ever seen. But I only put them at number four because I don't know how much those guys will impact the team right away this year. So it depends how you interpret the question of who had the best offseason. Theoretically, Texas A&M probably had maybe the second best offseason behind USC by doing such a good job of recruiting. But I'm looking at this idea of who's improving the most from last year to this upcoming season. Not only had the best offseason, but it's going to pay dividends right away. So that's why Texas A&M, it's, they're a little bit of both. Uh, or they're kind of a, a blend between those two ways to view this topic. They've had a really good offseason, but I don't think it'll have a huge impact on this upcoming year. Now, with that said, Texas A&M, they've averaged a top-10 recruiting class over the last four years already, so they should be good this year regardless. They should be. But to have the best recruiting class ever, to beat Nick Saban to the point that he's been you know, bitching about it all offseason, Texas A&M has done pretty well. And then number five, if I were to give you a top five, we'll round out a top five, right? LSU, you bring in Brian Kelly, I think that's a huge boost. I was a big uh, Dan Mullins guy, but Florida, after the position they were in last year, to make a change at the coaching position, I think that's a good boost for Florida. There's a lot of teams we can point to that I think made some good moves this offseason. But if I were to finish out the top five, I think I may put South Carolina number five because you may notice the trend. It's mostly about coaches and quarterbacks. That's what makes the world go round when it comes to football. And for South Carolina, you got Spencer Rattler, who may not be one of the best quarterbacks in the country this year. We'll see. But on paper, is the best quarterback South Carolina has ever had. So when you add a talent like that, especially when you're coming off a season last year when they had to use four different quarterbacks, it's not like uh, we're talking Sam Darnold to Baker Mayfield. We're like, it's an upgrade, but we don't know how big of an upgrade. This is a huge upgrade in the quarterback room. They had to use four different guys last year. One of their quarterbacks a year ago wasn't even supposed to be a quarterback. He was supposed to be an assistant coach, and they threw him out there. Another quarterback came from the FCS level. Now you're getting a guy who everybody thought was going to be the number one pick and a Heisman winner. 
And even if he's not that, he'll still be a huge improvement. And despite using all those quarterbacks a year ago for South Carolina, they still made it to a bowl game and won seven games in year one of a head coach. Now you add Spencer Rattler, who I've been saying all offseason, expectations for South Carolina at minimum should be to, to get better. you got to win at least seven games this regular season. And probably should shoot more for eight, because I think Rattler is that big of an improvement at the most important position. Those would probably be the five teams I would say had the best offseasons that have improved the most these last couple of months. USC's number one. I'd probably put Texas two, followed by Miami, Texas A&M, and then I think South Carolina would be there at number five. Right behind them, probably LSU for bringing in Brian Kelly. Florida would be up there for their coaching change. It's about coaching changes and quarterbacks. Those are the biggest changes you can make to your team. Sure, you could go get a good offensive lineman in the portal. It's going to help. It's not going to have the hugest impact. But when you bring in a Brian Kelly, you bring Lincoln Riley out to USC with a Caleb Williams, you bring a Spencer Rattler into that quarterback room, those are the ways to make big improvements, big step forwards in one offseason. Those would be my top five in college football. I think South Carolina, plus, let alone not only Spencer Rattler, but uh, just the feeling around the program, the recruit. I mean, they've had a good offseason. Austin Steiner will be really intriguing at the tight end position. He comes along, too. That's a nice boost. And moving forward to next year, Clemson and South Carolina having a really good week right now in recruiting. Clemson got another guy yesterday. Clemson right now is the number four recruiting class for next year. We're still so early in all this thing. Right in this whole recruiting stuff, you still got another uh, till February, what, uh, eight months to wrap this recruiting class up. We're just getting started, but uh, quite the week for South Carolina and Clemson. And right now, Clemson has a top five recruiting class for next year. Shane Beamer will uh, be in town tonight with uh, Lamont Paris. You're going to be up there with uh, with Bobby later? Yeah, so I'm putting, uh, you know, intern Anderson's feet to the fire to see if he can handle another uh, day working the board. And I'm going to head out there and, uh, yeah, join the great and powerful Robert Harton as he's uh, remote at the Gamecock Club tonight. So pretty pumped. Well, at least if you're out there, it'll take one thing off the plate of intern Anderson, of the awkward trying to talk back and forth yes. when he's somewhere else and you can't see each other or maybe you're on a phone call and you don't know and so yeah you know you it, it, it's it's a little div- the process a little inside baseball here folks but we can't see the person that is out on the remote so when luke's remote i can't see the fella so you know i'm just waiting for my cues it's kind of like being on a phone call for three hours like that's that's kind of how i equate it just you're just talking on the phone that's yeah. it it's like uh, love is blind <laughs> you're talking to one another through a wall you can't see each other you don't know. Love is blind is. on fan talk, by the way. <laughs> Love is blind. Uh, we'll catch up with a member of the Charleston Battery when we come back as they're coming off uh, their best performance of the year. It's the Bar Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Charleston Battery coming off their best win of the year. They beat uh, the Pittsburgh Riverhounds this past Saturday 3-0 for Pride Night and now hit the road for a couple of weeks. But coming off a win, I'm sure feeling good. And joining us now as a member of the Charleston Battery, Shaq Adams is with us. Shaq, good afternoon. How are you? 
Good afternoon. How are you doing? Doing well. Appreciate the time. I'm sure, look, I know, uh, you know, the season for the most part hasn't gone as planned for you guys, but I'm sure this past week it felt pretty good to get a win at home, play that well, and beat Pittsburgh 3 nothing on Saturday night, huh? Yeah, definitely. It was a team effort, you know, from start to finish. I definitely think that was one of our best, you know, performances of the year, and hopefully we can get many more to come. Yeah, certainly. I'm sure, you know, for, for a team that's trying to stack up wins, uh, a lot of times uh, you got to get the, the, the monkey off your back, they say, right? If you get that first one, maybe then it could build towards more. You try to get a winning streak, but, of course, you got to get that first victory. So when you get a win like that, you know, is there that sense of relief? Like, okay, we got back into the winning ways, and, and now you try to start a winning streak coming off of that? Uh, you're exactly correct, just like that. You know, we always keep that mentality that, you know, one win at a time, next game, you know, it might be a cliche, but it's the truth. Like, one win can take you anywhere. We can go from dead last from one win and then become one of the best teams in USL Championship off of that. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked with Shaq Adams from the Battery. Now, as you mentioned, it was a uh, total team effort. You guys played really well. I was in the building doing PA. I was uh, doing the announcements in the stadium. So my question, Shaq, would be, you guys played great. How much credit do I deserve for being there Saturday as you guys won 3 nothing? It's always a team effort, everyone, from top to bottom, whether you know, you're a fan or you're a player on the field, or even you as a PA announcer. So it's, a, it's always a team effort. That's a great answer. Well done. Uh, yes, I, I took plenty of credit from that win Saturday. <laughs> hey, what was it like, or what has it been like? This is your first year with the battery. What's it been like playing at home at Patriots Point in front of the fans uh, so far this year for you? I, I love it. It's always fun. Uh, it's a great atmosphere. Uh, everyone, you know, is always positive, win or lose, and they always have our back regardless. And it's always good to have that feeling whenever you're on the field playing. And, you know, when you're going through your struggles, that no matter what, that the fans are always going to have your back. So it's always a great feeling. I ask all your teammates that come on about it, but, you know, it's your first year at the Battery. How did things come together that led you here to uh, the Charleston Battery this year? Uh, well, yeah, I was at Tucson my last, my last two years and my first two years of pro. And, you know, I played very well in the USL 1 and – you know, the Coach Connor and the staff thought that I can bring something to the table, and that's how I ended up, you know, coming up to Charleston. How have you liked uh, just the area, being in Charleston so far this year? Uh, I love it. It's a nice place. Definitely glad to be back on the East Coast, uh, going to the beaches and all the nice restaurants and, you know, trying to meet new people. I know your 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 hometown's listed as Nashville, but you were born right in the Caribbean before coming to uh, to the states. Uh, yes, sir. And how old were you when you when you first uh, moved to uh, whether it was Nashville or wherever uh, your family first settled here? Uh, we first went to Maryland, and then we ended up settling officially in Nashville probably when I was around three or four. So pretty pretty young when I first came to the states. Man, Nashville's a great city. It's certainly a growing city. What was it like uh, growing up in that area? Oh, I loved it. I, I still love it till this day. You know, all of my friends back home. And uh, it's just a great area to to be in, Nashville. And it's slowly growing from when I first moved there till now. And I still enjoy it and enjoy going back home once in a while. 
Yeah, I can imagine so. I, I'm not from Nashville, and I love going there uh, when I get to every once in a while. <laughs> it's a great place. Um, uh, uh, growing up in Nashville, I, did you have to you, you get into any of the country music at all growing up in that area? Whenever I go to Nashville, every bar you go to, they got live music. They're all playing country songs. Is that like a requirement of being in the area? You ever get into the country music? Uh, I actually did go to a couple of uh, you know little country type music events and you know when you're down there you always have to go visit the grand Ole Opry. so yes those are just uh you know a given that you have to go see and see the different type of culture from you know when you're living there and obviously visiting you always want to you know experience something new and see how it is yeah absolutely uh growing up i read that you, you played all sorts of different sports before you know settling here on soccer as a professional soccer player Growing up uh, as an athlete, what different sports did you play? What was it about soccer that, that specifically, you know, soccer won out uh, compared to the other sports? Uh, well, if you know me, I played, bas- well, I played basketball, but, you know, I'm not that tall. So <laughs> right away it's pretty easy to not want to be a basketball player just from that. But, you know, my dad was a soccer player too, so I got pretty competitive and wanted to be the best that I can be and obviously try to beat them out of, uh, you know, being the better one in the family. So that's kind of where soccer uh, came about. Talking with Shaq Adams from the Battery, you know, you go by the, the name Shaq. If you're playing basketball with the name Shaq, I imagine that's got to be pretty annoying as well, people making the obvious comparisons to Shaquille O'Neal all the time. Yeah, I always get it no matter where I go on the opposing team's crowd that, you know, you're not the real Shaq or you're too short to be the Shaq, but, you know, it is what it is, and it's a funny little running joke that's been going on for years. Yeah. Hey, you spell it differently, so, you know, you're you're your own Shaq. He, he's, uh, he's a different Exactly. Um, I've heard that you're the fastest player on the battery. Do you think this is true if we line up everybody? You, you're, are you beating everybody in a foot race? A hundred percent. I am definitely the fastest. I love it. Uh, you ever do like a – do you know your 40 time? You ever get measured to see, like, how quick you truly are? I have not done an official 40 time, but so far my highest has been, uh, I think, 9.9 meters per second from what we've clocked. Dang. Sounds fast. Yeah, absolutely. How, what goes into being – like, what's your training like to uh, get to that point where you're as quick as you are as fast? And Obviously, you have to have the endurance for soccer. What's your training regimen like to uh, be prepared for a soccer season? Uh, for me personally, since I am, uh, you know, very fast, I have to make sure that my body can handle being at that, you know, top speed a lot and very consistent for the way that I play specifically. So a lot of the times I'm in the off season, I have to make sure that I'm reaching, you know, my top speed by the time I have to prepare for preseason where whatever team that I end up playing for. So that's usually what my training regimen goes to is a lot of ball work and a lot of sprints. You played at Florida Gulf Coast, um, and you played against a couple of your current teammates when they were at FIU. Uh, you're one of six players on the team that's from the Caribbean. So, you know, when you come to a new team like this, does it help to have either some guys from maybe a similar background or some guys that you've already played against? Does that help with the, the process of joining a new team and getting familiar with these teammates? Uh, yeah, it's always a it's always a help, you know. A couple of the guys that went to FIU, and of course my my t- college teammate uh, Preston, who was also here, made it pretty pretty easy the transition. And you know, FIU is one of the schools we played plenty of times throughout our year, so you know we had that little friendly little rivalry going between our two schools. So we have a little 
joke here and there. But that always makes it very easy with the transition if you know someone or even played against someone for so many years. Yeah, that's true. Preston Kilwine, right, played with you at, at, at uh, Florida Gulf Coast. I've been down there a handful of times uh, when I used to work in the A-Sun. And uh, what a beautiful campus down in Fort Myers. So you're from the Caribbean originally. Then, you, you know, you're, you're raised in Nashville. You go to college in Fort Myers, Florida. Now you're playing here in Charleston. I'm jealous of your, your path here through life. You've hit all the good spots. Uh, Florida Gulf Coast is a newer school. It's a beautiful campus. You must have liked your time uh, going to uh, FGCU. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, Preston was actually one of the uh, one of the guys that helped me out on going there when I went to my when my visits and doing the camp. So he made it pretty, you know, pretty well known that this is going to be a great place to be at and where I want I should be at uh, at the time. And you know, of course, you know, uh, I decided to end up going there and have my four years graduating there, and now I'm here. Yeah. Yeah, good spots to be in uh, South Florida and here in the Low Country. When you have some time off, what do you like to do around here? You get a day to yourself, or you get an afternoon after a, a workout. What have you uh, found yourself doing to pass the time here in the Low Country? Uh, so far, I've been, you know, going to the beaches, uh, trying to see see a little bit of the place. Since you know, I was a Tucson, there wasn't much of a beach. It was more of a desert kind of vibe. So. I definitely missed the beach from when I was in college. So I, a lot of the times, anytime I get my time off, I'm headed to the beach just to relax. I don't blame it. Talking with Shaq Adams from the Charleston Battery. All right, let's talk a little bit about the team before we let you go. As I mentioned, you get that win uh, Saturday night. Hopefully that opens the floodgates now for you moving forward. But what did you feel like uh, was the difference uh, in terms of Saturday or how you guys have been practicing or playing uh, lately? What, do you, what, do you, what, did you, what did you see as the big differentiating uh, factor Saturday that you guys can take with you now moving forward and, and continue to play well? Uh, just day by day, uh, you know, it's tough when you're going through a losing. Um, you know, you haven't, we went a couple months without uh, a win since our first game of the season. But, you know, this group of guys, you know, they don't falter. So every single day, you know, we come in and try to change our mindset of what we want to accomplish, no matter whether we would have, would have won or lost. We just kind of take the little things as success, and, you know, we ended up tying Loudon, and that was the first step of, you know, feeling a little bit of success, even though it wasn't a win. But we still end up getting away with the point and then taking away the the game after, you know, we were down 4-1 and just to battle back and make it 4-3, you know, you still take that as a little bit of success. And then, you know, we have the confidence to see that, hey, we can do this. And then as soon as, you know, we played Pittsburgh, you can sense that there was a little bit of confidence and swagger in the group of the guys that, you know, this is our chance to get our first win. And it just stayed from the first minute to the 90th minute. You had um, 23 goals in college. You had 12 over the past two years, so you know how to put the ball in the net. Uh, do you have a uh, – I always ask all your teammates as well, you got a, do you have a certain goal celebration you go to, or is it just whatever comes up in the moment? Uh, usually I kind of think of one a uh, couple of days before to see. You know, you might not always score in that game, but it's always good to have a celebration at, on hand in case you do score. But I always think of one of maybe a couple of days before what I might what I might pull out of my my bag. Yeah, you got some uh, you got some good dance moves that you show off out there on the field. Uh, I try to once in a while <laughs> if I can. I hear you talking with Shaq Adams. Um, 
uh, before we let you go, uh, speaking of those goals, right? In soccer, we know obviously not as many uh, goals or scores as say basketball, football, even baseball nowadays. That's got to be. What's that feeling like when you execute a play perfectly, put the ball in the back of the net, and you score a goal like you've done so many times throughout your soccer career? I imagine that's uh, quite the feeling for you as a player. Uh, yeah, it's always a great feeling to score. You know, as a forward, it's a uh, it's kind of a, sometimes a sense of a relief because it's like you've been working your butt off for the last couple of weeks in training. If you hadn't scored the game prior. So then once you see the first one go in the back of that, it's like, you know, maybe it's time to go on a run and, you know, go for the next one, the next game, or even the next one in the next moment. So it's always a sense of relief and joy and excitement. You played basketball, as you said, a little bit growing up. Are you into the NBA, or will you be watching game six of the NBA finals tonight, or have you not been paying attention to that? Oh, no, I'm always watching basketball. You know, I I love all kinds of sports from the NFL to NHL to, you know, the NBA. So I always try to keep up with the playoffs. And right now, you know, I think the Warriors look like they can run home with the the trophy. Yeah, I think you're right. We'll see what happens tonight. Should be fun. He's Shaq Adams, a forward for the Charleston Battery. They're coming off a big win this past Saturday on Pride Night, their best uh, performance of the year to this point. Hopefully it gets them going now throughout the summer. Shaq, appreciate the time. Appreciate you joining us. And uh, wish you the best of luck here the rest of the season. No problem. Thank you for having me. Hey, pleasure's all ours. Appreciate it. Shaq Adams of the Charleston Battery. He spells it S-H-A-K, so a little bit different than Shaquille O'Neal. But uh, not a ton of Shaq. So I imagine when you go by Shaq, of course, everyone's going to think of Shaquille O'Neal. Which, by the way, speaking of names, we have to get to that a little bit later on as we get ready for the NBA Finals tonight because of the Gary Payton. He's not a junior. He's Gary Payton the second, number two. And uh, I was curious, looked it up, and uh, it's... um, an interesting backstory, I guess, or I find it intriguing. We'll have to get to that later. But when we come back, we were talking yesterday about how you get dressed in the morning. Apparently, one NFL player can sell his uh, used underwear for a pretty good price. It's the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Now back to the Morrow Midday Show on ESPN Radio. hanging in the water, few trees stood a little taller, new it's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. You know, yesterday in the show we were talking about how you get dressed in the morning. Always got to go underwear first. Regardless of what you're what you're uh, rocking, Tom Brady uh, evidently is sending a pair of uh, game used underwear to a lucky fan. If you want to call him lucky, the fan I guess requested them, and Brady did one of those things on Twitter where if you get a certain number of likes, it was forty thousand, and uh, the fan named Greg, at least according to his Twitter account, got enough likes that Brady uh, agreed. And slid into his DMs to organize the transaction of game-used underwear. Now, I mean, plenty of questions. Why would you be interested? But I assume if Brady's keeping these, if he really does truly have, unless it's for this upcoming season, he's going to do it in the future. I don't know. But if this is, like, already used, number one, why is Brady keeping it? Number two, that would probably mean he's reusing the underwear 
and then I would assume is being washed after games. I don't think Brady has a closet full of dirty underwear from his football game. So maybe it's not as nasty as it would sound, but still the fact that you would uh, request used underwear from somebody else is very strange. But for Greg, he got enough likes, and Brady said he's going to uh, be sending him some game-used underwear. As he said in the follow-up tweet, what's wrong with you people? Greg, check your DMs and pick a color. Trent, would you want uh, game-used underwear from any NFL player? Uh, no. No, Luke Mar, I wouldn't now. I mean, Brady brand underwear looks relatively comfortable, so, you know, I might, you know, dabble into that world. But, no, I would never request something so uh, heinous as to uh, game-worn underwear. Maybe, maybe, I mean, he could sell it for a big profit more than likely, but still. I That's mean, come true. On, what are we doing? That's true. You could flip the game-used underwear. Yeah, flip, have, him, have him sign them and yeah. flip them. There you go. Sell them those things for 50 grand on some website. That's not bad. If there's an autograph included... That would have to be one of the, like like in Step Brothers when they got the autograph on, like, the sword. If you got a Tom Brady autograph on used underwear, that'd have to be one of the weirdest places for such a big autograph. Hour 3 next. It's the Mar Midday Show on ESPN Radio. WTMZ 98.9 FM, WTMZ 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Final hour of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. Podcast also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page. And while there, you can always leave a comment for the show. You can always get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays. Text the show, 843-608-1734. We can always join the conversation on the phones as well, 843-721-9500. Coming up, who could be this year's version of the Cincinnati Bengals? And we'll continue to get ready for Game 6 of the NBA Finals tonight, plus we'll get to Trent's takes. We closed out last hour talking about Tom Brady sending a pair of game-used underwear to... A quote-unquote lucky fan. I also saw the story of Jim Ursay, owner of the Colts, buying Kurt Cobain's guitar for $4.5 million. Now, Ursay obviously has a lot of money. He's also a big music guy. He's got his own band, I think, which they're not very good, but he's a big music guy. He's got all sorts of guitars. He plays, obviously. Cobain's guitar for $4.5 million. That must be nice to have uh, almost $5 million to spend on a old collector's item guitar after uh, Kurt Cobain passed away, of course, uh, all those years ago. Jim Irsay actually has his own museum of all of the wow. things that he has. He has, like, scrolls from the 1300s. And, uh, he's a collector, and he has a museum in uh, Indianapolis, and uh, all of I believe all of the, all of the uh, stuff is in there. He's got uh, Elvis's piano or somebody's piano. I don't know who it is, but he spends a lot of money on things that normal people would be like, oh, that's absurd. Yeah. 
I would I would say so. And he's in his own band, I believe, as well. He's like yeah. the lead singer. <laughs> yeah, I've heard. Uh, I saw a clip. Uh, they're not great. No, it's like the owner of um, uh, James Dolan, the owner of uh, the Knicks and Rangers. He has his own band too. It's called like JJ and the Straight Shots or something like that. <laughs> uh, they're they're terrible too. But you get these rich guys that you know they got a bunch of money and they form a band, pay the guys a bunch, I'm sure, and somehow book some lousy gigs. And uh, yeah, they're pretty bad. But Ursay, I appreciate he's got a little bit of a rock star personality to himself, and uh, I appreciate his love for music and, and that he plays guitar. I'm going to have to look up this museum. We're going to have to power rank the best things of his collection. It is a throwback Thursday, so we have one fan collecting Tom Brady's underwear. we got Jim Ursay with his collection. Two questions on this idea. Number one, even away from sports. You ever collect something? Do you have any sort of collection from your life? No, I, I don't. I've never been a uh, collector. And maybe it's just because, like, the Internet is so uh, prevalent. I Obviously, you want to have, you know, whatever you actually desire. But, no, I mean, my aunts and uncles, they have a couple of very cool things. A Muhammad Ali robe, a couple of things Ooh. like that. So, yeah, but I'm not, a, uh, I'm not a big collector guy, Luke. Are you? You, you collect every so often? Every so often. But no, I'm not a big one. Now, growing up, like we did the silly thing with uh, when they changed out all of the coins. Hmm. And that was a big deal. Like you needed to get, I guess it was the new coins coming out because they released like four states a year, maybe it was, or five states, whatever. And that was a big deal. Like, oh, we got to get, oh, look at this. This is the Ohio, the new quarter for Ohio. We don't have this one yet. And you would also have that book of the map and it had the slot for each state that you would put the quarter in. And I think I still have that actually tucked away. Uh, with a bunch of other stuff uh, in my storage closet. Um, but I think I have that somewhere. That was a big thing. And then, of course, like our family, we were big on Beanie Babies. We thought that was going to be our, our way out. <laughs> so we, I think we still have a few. Uh, we had tons of Beanie Babies. Or those other things, Pods or Pogs, whatever they're called. We had a bunch of those, Pokemon cards. So as kids, we did the normal collection stuff. I'm not like a stamp collector like some people or whatever else people collect. I don't know. You can compare Beanie Babies to cryptocurrency right now. You know, that you think, hey, it's going to be there. It's going to be there. And then eventually, you know, it might all go away. That's true. As technology has improved, we've gone from the Beanie Baby, like we got to go to the store, get a Beanie Baby, to now it's more uh, like digital, the uh, collections. You're buying Shiba Inu coin instead of going out and buying 100 babies. (laughs) 100, not 100 100 babies, 100 uh, Beanie Babies. That was Trent's collection. (laughs) (laughs) Out buying babies from people. Oh, no. Uh, Yeah, Beanie Babies. We had tons of those. What a waste that was. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. goodness. We all were suckers for that. All those things. How many of these things actually come? The only one. Oh, of course. How could I forget? We had so many trading cards, sports cards. We collected. We would organize them by team. We had the different binders for all the different sports. I still have sports cards that were given to me when I was born. Obviously given to my parents. Uh, when I was born, that we haven't opened, uh, hoping that one day when you open them, right, there'll be something worthwhile in there down the road. It's uh, like an investment. That's the one thing, because I did just see a Jordan uh, card sold for like a million dollars. That's the one thing that really has paid off. The people that collected sports cards and took good care of them, now you're finally getting the payoff to your investment where most of these other things never actually worked out. Right, you got to wait like 30 years oh, yeah. before they're uh, before they're worth it. Even like some signed jerseys, you know, like mm-hmm. if you wait about 30 to 40 years before, you know, then then you'll be able to, you know, sell it for a decent profit. Like I have a couple signed things that I'm definitely going to hold on to because in 40 years when we don't really remember the players, yeah, right. I'll probably I'll probably sell them and see if there's a profit. Yeah, that was going to be my other question, sports memorabilia. 
Yeah. Are you into that at all? I, I don't have much. I mean, I have my D Wade signed Jersey. That's uh, that I absolutely love. I have a couple interesting things in the house. That I didn't think I could acquire I have a gold record, uh, you know, that, that might be worth something that's down cool. the line. Yeah. But no, I, I don't really, I'm not into the collectibles. It may just be my age. I'm not sure. I'm not really into it either. I have a few things. My favorite one probably is when the uh, Metrodome roof collapsed for the Ooh. Vikings. Uh, they sold pieces of the roof that was shaped <laughs> as the state of uh, of Minnesota. And so we all bought them for like my um, my whole family. My dad has one or uh, my brother. I got one. We all got one. So I have that somewhere. I don't know. I may have lost that at this point, to be honest with you. I don't know where it is. But I had I have a piece somewhere of the old Metrodome roof for the Vikings at their stadium. So that's probably my favorite. I like that one. But yeah, like I have autographs from over the years. I have, I don't know, various things that were somehow you come across or given to you. I got a lot of autographs in person over the years. I used to be a big autograph guy as a kid. An autograph hound. Uh-oh. A little bit. <laughs> I had a real knack for it. You knew how to get it. You yeah. knew how to get oh, it. Oh, yeah. There's only certain things I'm good at in life, and that was one, getting autographs somehow was one of them. <laughs> now, let me tell you, we got a lot of autographs back in the day. Except from Jerry Seinfeld. No, Seinfeld. I got a picture. I got, Seinfeld was good. <laughs> Seinfeld, he was a jerk at first, and then we got a photo outside. He ended up being okay. No, it, uh, Ray Allen was a jerk to me. John Daly. Jason Williams. Jason Williams was a real jerk to me. Now he's on, now he's on in the morning here. Um, I'm trying to think. Who else. Ray Allen ran out the back door, ran to his limo, hopped in the limo to get away. Wow. And it was in, it was his, like a charity event too. Like it wasn't just like at Boston Garden. He's playing with the Celtics. Ray Allen played, of course, for UConn. He had like some sort of charity game in Connecticut. We were there. There was a bunch of people waiting outside to greet him, and we're all waiting there. And then suddenly, you see somebody go running out the side door with his stuff like in his hands, and went running into his limo, hopped in the limo, and they sped out of the parking lot, leaving all the kids behind. I thought wow. that was pretty pretty rotten. And I've met Ray a couple of times, uh, but uh, that was a bad one. I don't know, remember who else. The other jer- Most people are really nice. Alfonso Soriano was a jerk to me. I told that story before. He gave me the crotch chop it sign. <laughs> oh, uh, I don't remember who else. I don't know. So many athletes over the years. No, I'll tell you a celebrity that was very, very nice who I met in the Atlanta airport when I was a child, even though obviously in the, uh, he's not a great person. Uh, the, so what we've learned, but Chris Brown was incredibly nice to uh-huh. me when I went. I went up, he was sitting at the terminal, uh, I believe, flying to New York. And I walked up to him and said hello, and uh, yeah, it was all it was all good. It was all good. That's cool. If you could have, on a Throwback Thursday, any piece of sports memorabilia in the world, even if it doesn't exist yet, you can get it somehow. Whether it's an autograph, a jersey, or something from a specific event, is there anything that comes to mind that you say, "Man, I wish I had that thing"? Mm, Tebow's uh, game winning, uh, game worn jersey from the 2008 national championship, or Aaron Rodgers' uh, game worn jersey from the uh, Super Bowl in 2011. I like it. Yeah, th- those would be the those would be the two. I like that. I was thinking about it. I don't know. I don't really have anything to be honest with you. No. I mean, if I went way back, like um, something historic, I don't know. Like uh, I guess I would say the Hank Aaron home run ball that set history, something like that. Forget Barry Bonds and his home run record. That ball's juiced anyways. Um, So I'd probably say something like that. Maybe when uh, Kirk Cousins wins a playoff game for the Vikings, (laughs) you can get a signed jersey there. That'll be fun whenever, if that ever happens. That's right. (laughs) Uh, Maybe something from Jackie Robinson, like when he broke the color barrier. Like I'd go real big. It'd have to be real historic. Um, Something from Muhammad Ali. Something along those lines I I uh, I would like. 
Something with Michael Jordan. I don't know. Jordan's shoes. Game-worn shoes. Sure, I'll take those. Something like that. Tyson's gloves. I would like I would like Mike cool. Tyson's gloves. Yeah, because, yeah, cool. I mean, he never wore a robe out. He was such a savage. He would just run out there, basically, in a full sweat. And uh, so you don't have a robe to get, but you can definitely grab a, uh, you can definitely grab a um, glove or two. Where did that tradition begin? Mm. With the boxers wearing the robes. Ooh, great question. That seems like a weird thing. Yeah, that's why I loved uh, Mike Tyson. Obviously, I didn't watch him fight live, but watching all the documentaries and everything, he was just a madman. He would run out there with a group of like 20 people around him in a full sweat, no robe or anything, and just stare down his opponent until they broke. Quick Google search tells me that a robe retains the body heat as they make it to the ring, Mm. and the hood maintains focus by filtering distractions from the audience. Ah, that's interesting. It's like a a racing horse. They put those blinders on so they just look forward, you know, and the horse keeps running uh, straight. There you go. I I mean, Tyson wore robes every so often, but like from the fights that I remember, sometimes he wouldn't wear a robe. Sometimes he would, depending on the uh, the level of the fight, if it was for a championship or just, uh, you know, an exhibition. I don't know if focus was ever a problem with Tyson. He was talking about, you know, eating the babies of his opponents. Like, he was ready to go. He didn't need a robe <laughs> to help him focus on the way to the ring. You didn't need to fire Mike Tyson yeah, right. up. He was already fired up he in his head. He was ready to get in there and knock somebody out. No problem there. Hey, we have the NBA Finals tonight. Uh, game six of the NBA Finals. We'll see if the Warriors can close things out. On the Warriors' side of things, the storyline, of course, is Steph Curry trying to get another championship and therefore becoming the MVP? You could say it's the missing link. I don't think he's missing anything in the resume. But if he gets uh, the win tonight or even in Game 7 and he is that MVP, there's not much else that can be left to be said about Curry. Not much you can criticize him for. And if and when the Warriors finish off this finals, I think this will be the most impressive championship yet for Steph Curry of the four. He's had to do more on his own. Doesn't have Kevin Durant. Klay Thompson and Draymond Green are older. They were not the favorite to win this thing. They were a bit of a surprise. Curry's older himself. He's now 34. And just the way he's playing. Was he great last game? No, not in terms of scoring. Still made a big impact. But Steph Curry, last NBA Finals, when Durant was injured, he averaged 30 points against the eventual champions. This NBA Finals, he's averaging over 30 points against the number one defense in the league. And while he did not play great in Game 5, his teammates shot 62% when Curry was on the floor. The Celtics' defensive approach was to take Curry out of that game and force others to try to win. And that's what happened. The others did win. Andrew Wiggins was the star. Curry didn't do much, didn't make a three, but his opponent shot 62% from the floor. You'll probably take that trade off, especially when Wiggins was able to make some big shots in the fourth quarter. When Curry was off the floor, the Warriors shot only 22%. That's the big difference. That even if it's not Curry scoring, he has that gravitational pull. That pulls the focus away from the defense, allowing other guys to knock down open shots. And they were able to do it in Game 5. I expect Curry will be better tonight, but even if the Celtics use that same defensive approch where they were face-guarding Curry, running double teams out and picking him up at midcourt, trying to... See, that's the one issue for Steph Curry's game. He's the best shooter we've ever had. He's an egoless star, which is an advantage. He's probably going to win his fourth championship. He has changed the game. He's one of the all-time greats. The one negative to Steph Curry is that because of his size, it's a little more difficult to get the ball in his hands. You could try to take him away from the game, right? You face guard, you double team, you pick him up at midcourt, it's hard to get the ball in his hands. LeBron will not only bring the ball up the floor, but he's just such a big athletic dude that it's a lot harder for a defense to try to keep the ball out of his hands. We'll see it at the end of the games. When the Warriors have an inbounds play, looking for a game-winning shot, You know they'll put somebody with a little more size on Curry because it's harder to inbound the ball to him. 
That's the one issue for Steph Curry is just that he's not the biggest guy. It's also a bit of a positive, though, in the sense that his game will translate as he gets older. He does not rely on his athleticism. Shooters can hang around. Ask the aforementioned Ray Allen. Shooters can play for a long time. Even as your legs start to go, right? these shooters, these great shooters, still usually have those strokes from the outside. So it's a bit of a blessing and a curse, if you will, to his style of play for Steph Curry. The Celtics kept him from getting the ball uh, as much as they could in Game 5, but it led to Andrew Wiggins, Klay Thompson, Jordan Poole getting some good looks and knocking down shots. I imagine Curry will play better tonight. The all-time greats are greats for a reason. It's hard to keep them down that long. They may have one bad game, or are they going to have two consecutively? I don't know. The concern is we expect Curry to be much better this game than Game 5. On the flip side, you're also probably concerned about which Celtics players are going to step up. And so earlier I said, right, the Celtics tonight are like the Bonnie Tyler song, I need a hero, because that's what they need tonight. They need somebody to step up. And the most likely candidate would be a Jason Tatum. Can he step up tonight? He hasn't been great. But good play in a big moment can erase a lot of bad play prior. And the example I used earlier, not a perfect example, but I think back to Jordan in 98 where all you remember is that game-winning shot to win the finals. But he wasn't great for his standards, at least, in Game 5, and he wasn't shooting great in Game 6. He was 12 for 32 coming down the stretch. And then he made his final three shots, including the game winner, and to set up that game winner, he had the steal on the previous possession on the defensive end put the team on his back, carried them to a win, and won the NBA Finals. For Jason Tatum, he has not been great this Finals. I've made that crystal clear throughout the uh, series. But if you play big tonight at home, keep the season alive, and if you come back, play big game seven on the road, right? there's still a chance for Tatum to save himself, his reputation, his stardom, and to help you forget about some of those poorer performances before. Just like at the end of the game, right? you could have three bad quarters, but if you play big in the fourth, yeah, it's all for all is forgiven. All you remember is the fourth quarter. Jason Tatum has not been good for the first five games, but if he plays big in game six and seven, the rest becomes a footnote. You don't remember that. Right? Because he was his best at, in the biggest moments in this hypothetical situation. We'll see if Tatum can step up tonight. The Celtics are three and oh when facing elimination this postseason. The Warriors are 0 and three when trying to close out a series on the road this postseason. Let's see if the Celtics can push this thing to uh, a game seven on Father's Day. By the way, people always say, right, Game 7, best two words in sports, probably Super Bowl. Right? Isn't Super Bowl better two words? I think more people are into a Super Bowl than a Game 7 for any other sport. But I hope we still get a Game 7 come Sunday anyways. When we come back, who could be this year's uh, Cincinnati Bengals? We'll get to that next. It's the more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. It's Throwback Thursday. What's today? It's Thursday. Really? Feels like Tuesday. Tuesday has no feel. Monday has a feel. Friday has a feel. Sunday has a feel. I feel Tuesday and Wednesday. All right, shut up to both of you. On the Morrow Midday Show. could be this year's Cincinnati Bengals. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. We'll break that down here on the show. 
Game six of the NBA Finals tonight. We've been getting ready for that. I was wondering why Gary Payton is not uh, Gary Payton Jr. He's like Gary Payton the second. I guess Gary Payton, the father, has a little George Foreman to him because apparently he has two sons and he named them both. They're both Gary, whatever the middle name is, Payton. They're both essentially juniors. So one's like a junior and one's like the second. This is crazy to me. George Foreman, of course, you know, named everybody like with a G. Boy, the, his sons and daughters, all their names started with a G. If you're Gary Payton, why are you naming two sons both with the same name? And they have the same name as you. Makes no sense to me. And uh, we've had examples of this throughout the uh, the years of people with uh, similar names. I remember Lance Stevenson, who played in the NBA. He had a brother who was also named Lance, but they spelled it differently. What are we doing here? Well, we can't come up with better names. You name both your kids Lance. You just spell one. It was uh, ended C-E. The other ended uh, T-Z. And uh, even uh, Carlos Boozer. His name was Carlos and... Um, one of his brothers was Charles, which is like the English version of Carlos. So it was essentially the same, but there was that one little differentiating factor. Like, yeah, we'll change your name to Charles, and you'll be Carlos. Yeah, crazy. Gary Payton, what are you doing? Naming both of your kids Gary Payton. I never liked the idea of even uh, juniors. I've told the story before. One of my best friends, was he's actually the third. His father was the junior. The grandfather was the original. But, you know, we didn't really know the grandfather, so we'd always call the house. Back when there were no cell phones, you'd have to call the house. And we'd say, you know, hey, is Frank there? And the father would answer. And he'd say, uh, Frank or Frank Jr.? And he'd say, ah, oh, Frank Jr. And he'd say, okay, one second. And then he'd give a pregnant pause and say, okay, speaking. And then, all right, Frank the third. Because right, he, he would do that all the time. He was a real comedian. Oh, so annoying. Every time we would call. Just give the phone to the kid. We're trying to talk to him. everyone with the same names around here. It's confusing. Gary Payton naming both kids Gary Payton. Crazy. We'll see how well uh, Gary Payton the second does tonight in the NBA Finals and if the Warriors can close things out. Who can be this year's Cincinnati Bengals? The Bengals were a surprise team last year. Now, they were talking about this on Get Up this morning, and the criteria was, you know, picking a last-place team that could go win the conference. We'll dive into it. I'll give my opinion. I won't necessarily pick from a last-place team, but here is Dominic Foxworth this morning giving his thoughts on who could be this year's Cincinnati Bengals. This is much harder, but I'm going to go with the Jaguars. I think that the point of being a Cincinnati Bengals is not just from going worst to first. It's that it also has to be a bit of a surprise. So, like, I could pick the Ravens because they were mm -hmm. the worst in their division last year, but they were, had a lot of injuries and things like that. But the Jaguars do, like, like the Bengals, have a young, very talented quarterback, and they've addressed some offensive line issues, which we know – uh, makes life easier for that quarterback. And they brought in Trevon Walker to um, help with that defensive line pressure. So I'm not sure that they will do it. But if you look around that division, I think the Colts are a very, very talented team. We'll see what happens when Matt Ryan gets there. But it's not a division that has a bunch of juggernauts. I, I think the Titans have taken a step back. And I don't think that the Texans are really trying that much this year. So I think it's possible. It's a long shot. Yeah, it is a long shot. I would give the Jaguars, I don't know, 5% chance of getting to the Super Bowl. Maybe that's too high. We talked about this a little bit yesterday. I think they'll be improved this year, although I also had high expectations last year for Jacksonville. They won three games. But you replace a coach who didn't know what he's doing with now a Super Bowl-winning head coach. Trevor Lawrence, you hope, will be better year two compared to year one, especially now with Doug Peterson. And they did improve the roster by how much? Eh, we'll see. Maybe not a ton, but... They did make some moves to bring in more talent onto that team through the draft and free agency. And the division, 
as Fox Earth was breaking down there, the division is somewhat open. The Colts and Titans both had winning records last year, but you know the Titans lose A.J. Brown, and Ryan Tannehill didn't play well in the playoffs, and they've been to the playoffs like four straight years. Eventually that window's going to close. The Colts, I don't know, what are you going to get out of Matt Ryan at age 38? Trevor Lawrence is supposed to be this generational talent. In fact, ESPN.com put out an article today where they were talking with different executives in the league getting their rankings on who will be the best second-year quarterbacks this year. And Trevor Lawrence was uh, the number one pick amongst these executives. They thought it would be Trevor Lawrence. So he's expected to take a big step forward. Now, I'm not going to be as bold as Dominique Foxworth when talking about who could be this year's Bengals. I'm not necessarily going to pick a team that finished in last. Instead, a team that missed the playoffs. Right? If you look at some of the things that the Bengals represented, they were a team that had missed the playoffs. They had a young, unproven head coach. They had a young quarterback as well. And then they also obviously had some good weapons on offense. And uh, oddly enough, they were uh, kind of a cheap organization that had underachieved previously. So who could check some of those boxes and fit that criteria? Additionally, let me also tell you that over the past decade, a lot of quarterbacks, I should say a lot of Super Bowls outside of Tom Brady, have been won by young quarterbacks on a rookie contract in their second year of their system. Russell Wilson did it. Carson Wentz, I know Nick Foles was the quarterback in the Super Bowl, but Carson got them there. Jared Goff uh, got them there. Patrick Mahomes and uh, Joe Burrow got them there. So I should say getting to the Super Bowl, not necessarily winning the Super Bowl. But five different quarterbacks have gotten to the Super Bowl in the past decade in which they were on a rookie deal and were in their second year of the offensive system. So with all this information we have, right, a team that did not make the playoffs, a young, unproven head coach, a young quarterback with some potential, a team that has underachieved previously, a young quarterback maybe in his second year in the system, Initially, you think of a team like maybe the Patriots, but they have a proven coach, and they made the playoffs. The Eagles check a lot of the boxes. Unproven, offensive head coach, young quarterback, but they made the playoffs last year, so you can't choose the Eagles. The two teams that stand out most will be the Chargers and the Miami Dolphins, both in the AFC. The Dolphins have a young, unproven head coach, a quarterback that they have high hopes in. They have underachieved lately. They've been somewhat of a cheap organization in the sense that their owner was, uh, well, he was cheap in one sense, not the other. I mean, he was willing to pay his coach extra money, but in order to lose, they've underachieved since Dan Marino. And they certainly have made some moves this offseason to try to bolster their team. However, the missing link for the Dolphins is that this is not the second year for Tua in this system. This is just the first year. And so there could be a bit of a learning curve for the Dolphins with a new coach, first-time head coach, taking over and implementing his offense. The Chargers, meanwhile, check a lot of those boxes as well. Now, they did miss the playoffs, but just barely. They did have a pretty good team a year ago, winning nine games. Young, unproven head coach, young, talented quarterback. They've made some moves with the roster. They have underachieved, and it is now his second year in that offensive system for the Chargers. So the Chargers check pretty much all the boxes. The Dolphins check all but one. The Eagles are very close. They check a lot of the boxes, but they were in the playoffs a year ago, so that doesn't count. We're talking about a surprise team, a team that was not in the playoffs. I don't think the Chargers would be that surprising. You know, another team that checks a lot of the boxes would be the Falcons, but the Falcons are not going to be that surprise team in the NFC. 
I know it's only year one of Mike McDaniel. The Dolphins do check a lot of those boxes to be that surprise team. People did not see the Bengals reaching the Super Bowl a year ago. And while there's some hype around Miami, I don't know if many believe that Tua and a first-year head coach in Mike McDaniel could win the AFC this year with all the other talent in the conference. The Chargers would be the more obvious pick, but that's not as bold. They should have been in the playoffs a year ago. And the Dolphins are that next level that is a little bit more of a bold pick. The biggest concern when looking at the criteria of the Bengals from a year ago is just that it's year one for Tua in this system as opposed to year two. For Joe Burrow, right, it was year uh, year three for him with Zach Taylor. But for a lot of these other quarterbacks, Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, uh, I just said Burrow, it, it, it was that second year that it took a big step forward. First year, there's that learning curve. Second year, you're more comfortable, you know the offense, you're more familiar with things, and you can, you're ready to go lead your team to the playoffs. Now, Trent, I know you said yesterday you don't think they'll be, uh, uh, which, by the way, we do this a lot. You know, the Bengals were a bit of an outlier. They were such a surprise last year. But anytime something happens, like if the Celtics were to win the championship this year, we'd be talking about, like, okay, uh, how many more are they going to win? Like, anytime something happens, we expect that that's just the norm now. What the Bengals did last year was an outlier. It probably shouldn't be expected. With that said, you had mentioned yesterday you don't think there'll be a version of the Bengals this year, right? No, yeah, I don't I don't think there's any team that can uh, duplicate what the Bengals did last year. I mean, you just have to look at the roster as far as uh, skill positions go. Jamar Chase is a clear-cut number one wide receiver and came into his own throughout the season. They have weapons all over the place. Joe Mixon in the backfield is incredibly important. The only thing they were missing is the offensive line. They improved on the defense. The secondary was a question. I don't see, quite honestly, the Jacksonville Jaguars Christian Kirk on majority of teams in the NFL would be a number three wide receiver. If you're relying on him to be your number one, uh, that raises concerns for me for the Jacksonville Jaguars right now. They got talent. I mean, Zay Jones was a four in the Raiders. He's now a two with the with, uh, in Jacksonville. So, no, I, I don't think there will be a team for quite some time that are going to be like what we had with the Cincinnati Bengals. And also, I think there's a little bit of a difference between a lot of these younger quarterbacks and Joe Burrow. He just seems like a different cat. And now with the Bengals, they have an improved offensive line. I expect them to make the playoffs. Do I think they'll win the Super Bowl? Probably not. But I do expect them to make the playoffs. But the Jets, the Jaguars, the, the Texans, the, the Lions, I know a lot of people are betting on the Lions to go 10-7 and seven and win a playoff Ooh. game. Come on, let's let's be realistic here. All those teams will have a top 10 pick next year. Year in and year out, we all know it. They all do it. Let's not be fools. But you are pretty high on the Dolphins, right? Mike, oh, I'm, Mike I, yeah, I mean, I'm a Mike McDaniel guy. Yeah. He's got swag. He's got it all. But do I think that they're going to make some miraculous playoff run? No, but they'll probably win, you know, eight, nine games, maybe beat the Patriots once, beat the Bills once, beat the Jets twice. There's no doubt about that. So, yeah, I mean, I, could, I, I have high expectations for Miami. It might just be because I'm such a Mike McDaniel guy. I love the fella. I mean, he's in, he's so awesome. He's one of the cooler NFL coaches we have out there. He's a Yale grad. He's super smart. And if you look, not just about how cool of a guy he is, but Mike McDaniel, what he did with that offense in San Francisco, obviously you can put a lot of it on Kyle Shanahan, but he was the offense coordinator the last couple of years, and that run game was absolutely incredible. As we've seen, he was the run game coordinator when they went on to the Super Bowl, ended up losing, but they put – I mean, against the Packers, they rushed for 260 yards, you know, before contact. So he can definitely craft an offense the way he wants. And now he has toys and Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle and uh, Mike Gusecki. So, yeah, I mean, I, I expect them to uh, win more games than people might expect. 
Yeah, plenty of reasons to be optimistic about the Dolphins this year. Yeah, for the Chargers, like you mentioned, if the Chargers don't make the playoffs again, I mean, Brandon Staley, that, that experiment has failed, and it has failed mightily because that's a team, especially now with the way that they've uh, worked their uh, defense with Khalil Mack. Yeah, he's on the back half of his career, but him and Joey Bosa coming off the edges together, absolutely incredible. You had J.C. Jackson to an already stacked secondary. Their defense will look good, and now it's just uh, if Justin Herbert and the offense can step up. Yeah, last year was a big disappointment for the Chargers. And so if uh, they don't get back there again this year, uh, Brandon Saley may not have a job anymore. We'll get to Trent Six when we come back. It's the Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. On the text line, somebody asked about Robbie Anderson talking about retirement. He uh, said that he um, was just thinking out loud, I guess, with that tweet when he tweeted something about thinking about retiring. Also, he's dealing with some uh, an injury right now. I think it's a, his hip. So, you know, well, at that point, maybe you're feeling a little negative about things and say, ah, forget this. I'm just going to retire. But... Um, uh, he reiterated or, or clarified to the media that he was just kind of thinking out loud. And I think he said something along the lines of, I'm still here, so must not be retiring yet. Anyways, we'll see what happens with Robbie Anderson and the Panthers. Uh, we usually do it around 1.30. We had a member of the Battery join us around 1.30 today, so instead we get to end your afternoon with Trent's Takes. What's on the mind of the Morrow Midday Show producer? Draft Luke Morrow. That's Panthers. right. It's time for Trent's Takes. The Radio Cowboy will be coming, and he's coming soon, folks. Luke, before I get into any sporting news, I would like to address yesterday, obviously, we were talking about the uh, order that you get ready in. So this morning, I decided that I was going to go in reverse order to see how it goes. I started from top to bottom, and I've never felt weirder, folks. <laughs> I tell you that right now. I like to do a couple things in the morning, and uh, I didn't like the Winnie the Pooh kind of deal. You know, I didn't like it. I actually put socks on before I put anything else on it. I'm not wearing socks right now, but I put them on just to see how people work, especially in the summertime. Absolutely hated it. You got to go, you know, uh, undergarments first, then pants, potentially put on the socks after that, and then go from there. Because I just, you know, a little science experiment on my own before the Morrow Midday Show as we came on. But went in reverse order, absolutely hated it. If you go in reverse order, folks, I would uh, like to have a conversation with you. Make sure you're doing okay, not only mentally but physically. That's a tough way to start your day. No, it is. Going through something like that. You ever sleep with socks on? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. If, if I forget to take them off, yeah. Mm. But, I mean, I'm like you. I fall asleep on the couch all the time. That's like I'll be watching something, maybe in the thing I was wearing or probably yeah, out right. and come back. And uh, I'm, sometimes I'll have shoes on, you know, just depending on That's depending true. on where and when you pass out. But I was going to ask, how many times a week do you fall asleep on the couch? <laughs> uh, it's been a little while now. Really? Yeah, it's been a little while. But I don't know. On average, not, not that often. I went through a stretch a couple weeks ago where it was happening pretty often. I don't know why. I was tired, I guess. It's just it's part laziness yeah. of, like, I'm comfortable on the couch. I don't want to go to bed. And then it's also part of the the night owl personality of me that, like, I am kind of tired, but eh, let me watch one more episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then halfway through the episode, I'm <laughs> nodding off. So, yeah, it's a combination of the two. 
Um, it hasn't happened in a couple of weeks, so I'll say that. No, my mother got upset with me because I told her, I was like, yeah, I've fallen asleep on the couch every night this week, quite honestly. <laughs> really? Yeah, I, I do it way too often, and my couch isn't that long, right? So, you know, I'm a relatively taller gentleman, so, you know, I'm kind of scrunching up sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, man, it's comfy, so, I mean, I'll sleep there. I'll wake up around 6 a.m., 5 a.m., and then just go maybe hop in the bed for a couple hours or get my day started, depending on what kind of mood I'm in. Yeah, about two weeks ago, I think it was the first time I made it all the way through on the couch. Like, I woke up at, like, 10 in the morning. Really? I was, like, really tired. I think it was a Friday at the end of a week. I fell asleep on the couch, and I slept the whole night into the morning. I woke up. I was like, all right, I got enough sleep. It's time to go now. That's why you, you always normally just wake up, right, like, at a random time. Yeah. If I'll look out the window. If it's still dark out, I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, I got a couple hours to, yep. you know, get back in bed. But, yeah, I'm, I'm a big couch sleeper. I don't mind it whatsoever. I, you know, I crash oh. on couches from here or there. So I can sleep anywhere. I, oh, I yeah. really, outside of planes and cars, I can I can sleep anywhere. You put me on the floor with a blanket and, you know, and a, and a sheet as a pillow, I'm cool with it. Look, I got no problem. I'm with you. And part of it probably was growing up. I'm the youngest of three boys. We'd go on the road for AAU. We'd put everybody in one hotel room. And I always <laughs> would get the, the the worst draw of the bunch. I would have to sleep wherever. So, yeah, I'm the same way. As I get older, I'm a little more picky. I kind of want a mattress if I'm going on a trip or something. But absolutely, if I had to... You put me on a bus, a pl- I'm knocking out right away. I could sleep mm. anywhere. Yeah, no doubt. I can't do the planes for some reason. I, I never fall asleep on the planes. Maybe just sometimes turbulence or if I'm having a good conversation with a p- person <laughs> next course, to me like yeah. I like to do, then, you know, sometimes right. I'll stay up. But if it's an early morning <laughs> flight, I'll definitely fall asleep. Now, Luke, game six tonight. I'm on a heater horse right now when it comes to my props. I want to look back and see actually how I've done in the finals as a whole because I've only been missing either one or two mm-hmm. each time I give these props out. Massive game tonight, folks. And I got a couple for you that I think are absolutely incredible. First of all, I've been doing it every single game, and I will continue to do it. Jordan Poole over 11.5 points tonight. I think he gets at least 14. I would love to see him come off the bench, have a big game. Obviously, after the abysmal shooting night that Steph Curry had in game five, hammer the over, folks. I'd even tease this one up, Luke, to 35. It's right Woo! at, at 28.5 right now. I think Steph Curry has a phenomenal game. I will also throw, because this guy has given me a lot of success in the prop market, Al Horford over 9.5 points tonight. I think he gets 10 for the Celts. Personally, I think the Warriors are going to win this ball game and close it out tonight, even though the NBA and all you NBA conspiracy theory, you know, fans out there are going to believe that the refs are going to try to go to game seven. I think this Warriors team is resilient. They will win tonight. I'm not going to touch the number. May have put a little sprinkle on the money line. Warriors outright, but I love those props. Steph Curry over 28.5 points. Jordan Poole over 11.5. And Al Horford over 9.5. That's where we're going tonight. Luke, if this ends right now, I'll be 8-1 and one if we hit all, all three of these in the last couple of days. So I'm feeling pretty good going into tonight's game, Luke. Yeah, hopefully it continues. I like the Curry. I, I would take the over, over threes as well, three-pointers. Yeah. I think Curry comes back. Now, look, the Celtics did a really good job slowing him down last game, but great players are great players for a reason. I don't think he has two straight performances like that, so I think uh, he regresses or whatever the opposite of regressing to the mean. I think he plays big tonight, and we'll see if somebody can step up for Boston. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Luke, now we were talking about the Chargers in the last segment. I would like to address a couple comments made by their starting quarterback, the Wonder Boy, that being Justin Herbert. Now, Justin said in a recent press conference, we all know he's a football guy, he loves football. He said that if you're going on vacation, you're running away from something, okay, which is quite interesting. He said, I'd rather be at home studying my playbook and throwing the football. Let's not be fools, folks. There is no way in the world that Justin Herbert wasn't down 
down in Cabo about a month ago before minicamps. I, I love this idea that there are quarterbacks out there that think they can't go on vacations or it might just be for the media to want, you know, hey, my quarterback's always studying the playbook. And I know there's fans out there, like a couple Steelers fans actually I saw, got mad at Kenny Pickett for going down to uh, um, Ocean City, Maryland for the weekend for uh, whatever the last holiday was, Memorial Day, or uh, yeah, for whatever. And they were getting mad at him saying he should go study the playbook. Let's not be brash fans here, folks. And also Justin Herbert. Go on a vacation, pal. Everybody needs a vacation. You deserve a vacation. There's a couple people in this office that never take vacations. Take a vacation. It's absolutely asinine that Justin Herbert is saying he doesn't need vacations, and vacations are you're running away from something. I think that's absolutely bogus, Luke. That's an interesting thought. I don't necessarily agree with it, but it is intriguing. It's the idea of uh, when you live in a great area, like you feel like you never have to go on vacation because you live in a place where people come on vacation to. And I guess for Herbert, you know, like if you love your your job, it's the idea of never working a day. You don't mind working all the time. Uh, But also, remember Carson Wentz, we had the stories of Carson Wentz got caught watching film on dates when he first came into the league. And, you know, things haven't gone great for Carson. So the idea (laughs) that, like, devoting all this time to just – the NFL doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a great quarterback. I do think Justin Herbert will be really good. But also, he probably, because he's going to be really good, can afford to take a week off during the offseason to go to some sort of uh, tropical island. Yeah, I mean, Tom Brady said that during his uh, suspension for Deflategate that he went to Spain for a couple weeks. So if you're really worried, like Tom Brady's going on vacations during the season when he suspended Justin. I'm telling you, buddy, you don't need to be that worried about minicamp, all right? You can go. If you want to go on a vacation, you want to add football to it, do what, even though I don't like the guy, Deshaun Watson did, and bring everybody down to the Bahamas so you can have a vacation and throw the football around with your your guys. You make a lot of money, Justin Herbert. Come on, what are you doing? Go on a vacation, pal. Everybody should take their proper vacation, saying that to the world. Go take a vacation. I haven't taken a vacation since I started here. Definitely going to have to do it because you need vacations, folks, for your mental space. There's no doubt about it. Justin Herbert, go take a vacation. Now, I mentioned yesterday, Luke, that I uh, picked the Tampa Bay Lightning last night. Yeah. Obviously lost in overtime. What an electrifying game. But I will say, I'm not giving up on the Tampa Bay Lightning. I know the Colorado Avalanche are a phenomenal team, but I'm not doubting the heart of a champion. As I said yesterday, the goalie for Tampa Bay, I'm blanking on his name, has the silkiest mitts in all the land. There's no doubt about it. He can stop what he needs to stop. Obviously, couldn't do it last night. I believe in this Tampa Bay team. I think this is going seven. I think Tampa Bay will three-peat this coming NHL Stanley uh, Stanley Cup playoffs. So I do believe Tampa's going to be okay. Once they go back to Tampa for games three and four, I think it's going to be a little different. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if Colorado goes up 2-0 pretty quickly. But obviously in the uh, in the East Finals a couple weeks ago, Tampa goes down 2-0 to the Rangers, comes back, wins it in six. So, you know, I have no... No problem with continuing on the Tampa Bay Lightning. I love this team. Patty Maroon's an absolute dog. I've been listening to a couple of his podcast episodes. He's absolutely hilarious. Got the best goalie in all the lands, Luke. So I'm not I'm not wavering on the Tampa Bay just yet, but last night did hurt a little bit. Yeah, that was a tough right when you have a chance uh, to win a game like that on the road and, and they lost in overtime. It was a fun first game of the series. If the series is like that, it'll be a fun Stanley Cup Finals. By the way, people complain about the NBA taking too long. Game two is not till Saturday for the Stanley Cup. Yeah. All right, they're taking these two days off, so they're stretching this thing out. There's no travel here either. They're still in Colorado. But we'll see what happens uh, this weekend in game two. Yeah, there's no doubt. And folks, that's uh, Trent's takes for you there. I agree with you about we got to normalize uh, vacation time. Yeah. 
because we've all been conditioned to be hard workers. And uh, like I'm a hard worker, but every once in a while still, right, you got something going on. Don't feel guilty about if your company gives you vacation time. That's what it's there for. You should be able to take it and use it as you please. Yeah, people will scold you for taking vacation time. It's like, no, I, ha I have vacation time. You don't need to work every single day of your life. I think that's an overblown thing. You can take time off. Like, it's, it's crazy to me that people think otherwise. Yeah, right. that's the idea. That's why the company provides it with you, uh, provides it to you. So use it. Use the vacation time, especially if it doesn't roll over, right? Especially if you have to give it back at the end of the year. Yeah, use up that vacation time. That's what it's there for. Uh, we'll wrap up your Thursday when we come back and um, preview one final time, Game 6 tonight. It's the more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Reaching out, touching me, touching you. The Red Sox are losing right now 3-1 in day baseball, so uh, things at Fenway feel so good, so good. We'll see about tonight in Boston with Game 6 for the Celtics Warriors as we wrap up your Thursday and the Morrow Midday Show. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on demand, search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. And don't forget, you can take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Just simply uh, stream us online, charlestonsportsradio.com, or through TuneIn Radio, your smart speaker, or our free app. Search ESPN Charleston in the App Store. Download the app today, and you can listen to the show live or on demand from anywhere in the world. The podcasts are available in the app as well. Appreciate listeners checking in from at least 12 different states and multiple countries on this Thursday. Game 6 of the NBA Finals. I've been giving you my picks for each game of the Finals. Don't feel great about it, but I think I would go Warriors to win outright. Now, I gave you the numbers before. If you're a betting man and you think, ah, oh, the Warriors, three-and-a-half-point underdogs, I'll take the point, Just you might as well take them to win outright. Don't bet the Warriors plus three and a half. Just take a money line. If you like the Celtics, take them to cover. If they win, they're going to cover. Don't take them on the money line. Get the better value uh, with the points. It's hard to see the War the Celtics now losing three in a row after just losing back-to-back -back games for the first time in a while. Also, on their home floor, the Celtics have been good when facing elimination. The Warriors not so much on the road. It's another one of those heart versus head. My head's probably telling me now this is going to go back to San Fran for Game 7. But my heart just has the sense of watching these two teams play the last couple of games. I just feel like the Warriors will get it done once again tonight. They've been the better team in the last two games. I think they'll be the better team tonight. Steph Curry will play better. I don't know if I could trust Boston. I think the Warriors may just close it out tonight. Whatever happens, we'll talk about it tomorrow on the show. Life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. For now, we say goodbye. We'll say hello again tomorrow at noon more Midday Show on ESPN Radio.